What is up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. We got a Super Bowl preview this week, plenty of NFL talk. There were some uh, big trades. We'll be talking about the NFL draft. We'll be talking a little bit about the coaching carousel. And, of course, breaking down the big matchup this week between the Kansas City Chiefs and the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay being the first team to host Super Bowl ever. uh, Kansas City going for a repeat the first time in a while we've seen that since the patriots back in the day so there's uh plenty of storylines um i think that me and kendall have a different view of how we're kind of coming into the super bowl so i'm curious what our guests will, will kind of you know split the difference in, in how he feels about the super bowl so i'll introduce him in a second but joining me again is kendall on this podcast and kendall i do feel like i'd be remiss not to shout out the guy from the met the criteria podcast uh, they're a British basketball podcast. They came on Sports Talk last week. We had a great conversation talking about uh, uh, you know, all the stuff happening in the NBA. You can catch that uh, podcast not just on our podcast audio channels, but also on our YouTube channel. And we're slated to be going on there very soon. So um, I'm looking forward to it. But what did you think about that conversation last week? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was definitely a fun conversation. Um, you know, a lot of interesting basketball talk. Um and I'm excited to I'm excited to talk to them next week. Uh, again, that that should be fun. Uh, but this week is is going to be uh, mostly football, all football. And we brought in, um, you know, the best football guy we know. So I'm excited. That's what's up. And it was and it was a, a request from you. You're the one who uh, came up with the idea, and, and, and me knowing this guy for a long time, I was really happy to have him back on. You guys have heard him on the podcast before. Rob DeRay joins us now. NFL scout. Um, podcaster, writer, you've seen him everywhere. He's on now to talk more football. Rob, thanks so much for coming on, man. Looking forward to the discussion. Oh, boy. I didn't know what type of energy I was going to bring because it's you know, our second time doing this, but the second intro was even better <laughs> than the first, so I'm back in. Sorry to blow up your guys' spot. Yeah, this is this is a second try. We had, a, we had some uh, pretty big technical issues. If you listen to the podcast and you're wondering if Kendall sounds a little off or a little different, it's related to his his microphone, but um, we're gonna power through, and it will be a, I, still a I great show. I think he sounds great. I just I didn't know if I was gonna have that same energy, but you guys <laughs> revitalized me. That's what's up. Well, I'm happy. I'm happy we did because we got a lot of important stuff to talk about. Um, so let's let's uh, get right to it. So again, um, big Super Bowl matchup this week. Got Tom Brady going for his seventh Super Bowl win, which to me, every time I hear it or say it or think it, I can't believe it. Um. I'm not, for one, all that happy to see him in another Super Bowl, but we'll get to that, I guess, a little later. Uh, <laughs> he's going for his seventh Super Bowl win when his uh, Buccaneers host Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl 55. Uh, the Chiefs crushed the Bills in um, in uh, two weeks ago in the AFC Championship game to secure their spot and the opportunity to uh, repeat as Super Bowl champions, while the Bucks survived three second-half picks from Tom Brady to escape out of Lambeau and beat the Packers. And I say... Uh, once again, the Bucks hosting the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl because this is a first time ever where the host city and host stadium uh, for one of the representatives will be in, in play. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play at Raymond James Stadium, and that is indeed where Super Bowl 55 will be played. Now, uh, Kendall and I have gone back and forth about this. Kendall has talked about, you know, off-air, of course. We haven't really had this discussion on-air, but Kendall has mentioned that, you know, given the sheer star power of, of these teams, these quarterbacks— he feels like this feels like a true clash of Titans, a true, you know, kind of epic Super Bowl we have here. For me, I'll be honest, you know, and I'll admit, you know, jaded Jet fan, 
not excited about seeing Tom Brady play for the millionth time in the Super Bowl. But I do feel like the pandemic for me has taken a little bit of air out of this Super Bowl, um, which is weird because I didn't feel that way necessarily about the NBA Finals. Um, so I'm not sure what that means. But uh, Rob, where do you stand on this? Do you feel like I think on paper, in the normal circumstances, this would be it certainly, definitely an epic showdown and a uh, a huge, huge, huge story. For me, I feel like it, it, it's hard for me to really get up for this. You know, there's not going to be a big Super Bowl party for me. Um, there's not going to be a lot of the pageantry we're used to seeing, a lot of the, the, the media conversation, the media discussion, the media um, week that we have leading up to the Super Bowl. How are you taking the Super Bowl week coming into this game? You know, I haven't really thought about it from that perspective, but uh, the Super Bowl is kind of that pageantry, all that stuff. I feel like that's the worst part of it. I, I always feel like the AFC Championship, NFC Championship, hopefully at least one of those two matchups is like really high caliber. Is really the best pure football you get. Like these games always start slow when the Super Bowl. You have so many storylines that are just kind of beaten to death. And and I'm kind of over it. And then I'm like, I'm sitting there waiting for Bruno Mars or trying to figure out how many, I'm betting on how many times J-Lo is going to change her clothes. And, and the game, you know, it isn't necessarily the focus as much as it should be, especially at the end of a long football season. Um, you know, this year I feel like it's just a little bit more of a regular game. We just had a week off, kind of, kind of approaching it the same way I usually approach conference championship weekend. And you know, obviously, obviously in terms of the matchup, you know, there's a lot of star power. I actually think that we would have been a little bit. Um, more excited for it if it was Aaron Rodgers playing the way he had been playing down the stretch versus Patrick Mahomes, you know, just because, you know, offense really lights it up. And as good as the Bucks defense is, they, uh, they're not like, like the Seattle defenses or that Denver defense that won the Super Bowl. That was really kind of like something, something to watch. They're just, you know, very, very, very good. Um, so I think I probably lean more to the side of, you know, not so hyped for the game, um, like hyped for the game, but not so hyped for you know, the Super Bowl you know, normalcy. So my question would be, so what? where would you rank the Super Bowl in terms of like, this is the most exciting matchup, Super Bowl matchup since when? You know, the, the thing that came to me was, or the matchup that came to me was either the, the second Giants-Patriots, um, which is obviously a huge matchup. You had a rematch of the the first time they met up. Uh, you had the New York Boston markets that made it huge, and then I, I go back to the first one. You know where you had New England coming off of a uh, an undefeated season, trying to complete that one. I, I think that these, I think that this matchup to me, when you throw in the the Mahomes Brady factor, when you throw in all the star power on both teams, um, it feels like it's on that level. Um, I know EJ mentioned off air. He mentioned the Eagles Patriots, which is another huge one. Um, but, but yeah, but those to me, it's it's on that level. I, I guess I just kind of look at it differently then, because I feel <laughs> like like last year was a cooler matchup uh, than this year. Obviously, big drop. As as much as you know, I'm sure that it'll come out that you know I'm down on Brady. You know, this year compared to where he's been, you know, huge drop off from this year Brady to last year uh, Garoppolo. I couldn't overstate how big a drop off that was. 
But that 49ers defense was so good. That running game was so good. Um, yeah. Kyle Shanahan was just kind of really locked in all year, and they had a lot of star power, you know, in terms of George Kittle and, and you know, in places you normally wouldn't see star power. And to be honest, last year's Chiefs felt a little bit less inevitable than this year's Chiefs. They felt a little more vulnerable last year. Um, and, and this year we really kind of haven't seen anybody give them a run for their money except well, the Browns and I guess the Raiders. What's been interesting is last year they had all those games where they fell behind big and stormed back and, and, and routed teams. Like, we didn't have that happen in this postseason. When they played ahead and, you know, the Browns played them competitively, but, like, they they didn't have these playoff games where they were in like, this dogfight or they kind of got down you know, 10, 14, you know, in the Houston case, 24 points. Um, that We didn't see that happen. So I wonder if that has anything to do with some of that air of invincibility that you're talking about. Yeah, it definitely does. But but it's also, I mean, I know that the Raiders beat them once and almost beat them another time. But, you know, this, this Chiefs team, you know, we didn't talk about it, but they lost to the Raiders, and then they lost when they kind of benched their starters in the last week. You know, it's really like a, a on talent, you know, a 15-1, and 16-0 type team just in terms of the way they played it. They also didn't do it in a very flashy way. It just kind of seemed like they were on cruise control. But what they did to the Bills last weekend, you know, and I think that the Bills, you know, pound for pound would, would you know, give this Buccaneers team a run for their money. You know, the NFC was a little bit more jumbled up than the AFC was. And it just kind of made it since, you know, since before the season. Um, it, it seemed like the Chiefs were always going to be the favorite in the Super Bowl, going to be in the Super Bowl and going to be favored. Uh, you know, surprised that the line is as close as it is. Um, but, you know, it's Tom Brady and he's won a ton of them. So I understand the, uh, the counter argument as well. I just feel like, I guess for me, I just feel like, you know, and I do agree that in many ways, for the for the true football fan, like super, something special about Championship Sunday. It's back to back games. The stakes feel so, so super high, especially because you know oftentimes you'll have a couple teams who have not been to Super Bowl before, or you'll have teams that haven't been there in a long time, or teams you don't see as perennial winners. So they, it feels like I mean obviously Super Bowl is everything on the line, but with those games, cold weather, sometimes snow. You know, it, it, you know, guys banged up. It's it's a different. It's a true. I I would say it's more of like a purist's kind of football Sunday than the Super Bowl per se. But I still feel like, for me, I guess, and just how I I guess I and, and that's funny because I think all three of us take the Super Bowl week differently. I guess like that all that pageantry and stuff to me like lives. It it like it contributes to that big fight feel. Like to me, like when you have a heavy a big heavyweight fight in the UFC or in uh, you know, in boxing, and you have the the big time ring walks and the crazy performances and all the celebrities. Like to me, like you know, that adds to the boxing match. Like we saw, you know, I know I'm going on a little bit of tangent, but we saw, you know, Teofimo uh, Lopez go up against Vasily Lomachenko in a light heavyweight fight fight for the unified lightweight belt. It was a big time fight. I enjoyed it. It was one of the best fights we saw all year, and maybe if not, maybe the best fight all year. But it definitely wasn't the same for me as what it would have been if it's in, you know, the MGM Grand in Las Vegas with, you know, 25,000 people in there 
and all the celebrities sitting in front row and the crazy ring walks. Like, it was different. It's, it's a different vibe. And I guess to me, the Super Bowl is almost different than other football. Like, to me, it's almost like that kind of heavyweight fight, that, um, that Uf- crazy UFC fight. And not having that, it does, you know, it's like, okay, it's, it's a big football game. Like, these are two, you know, really good teams. They've played well almost all season. The Bucks are certainly a team that's red hot right now. But I guess for me, like, to, to, to rise up to, like, those um, previous games Kendall talked about, again, the Eagles with the with the trying to, you know, finally win the Super Bowl for the first time in that city, a city that's been, you know, just starting for a Super Bowl. Um, you know, the Patriots going for 17-0 and or, or whatever it would have been, 19-0, you know, whatever it would have been, um, uh, you know, against the New York Giants, you know, one of the flagship franchises of the NFL. Eli Manning and the Manning name being involved. Like, like there's so much that goes into that. And then you combine that with the patentry that goes into every week um, for Super Bowl week. I feel like that, that, that to me, uh, elevates the game to another level. So without that, while I would agree that the star power here is just as good as most years, I think that's hard for me to kind of see it in that way. It's, it's you know, it's a kind of a weird will- feel. I will say is that what we kind of got robbed of this week because there's not that many storylines um, with this game. I think that if we had the traditional media week, it would have been you know Brady. Brady's going for seven, Mahomes is going for two, and you know if we all buy in on Mahomes being kind of like the tiger to Tom Brady's you know Jack, that you know Mahomes had a chance to fall behind in a way that was kind of insurmountable that he'd ever whether he'll eclipse Brady or get close. Like he's the guy, the young guy who has a chance to to only guy who probably has a chance to pass Brady. And that was going to be the dominant storyline. But the storyline that kind of got robbed here and I think would have emerged over the two weeks specifically um, while all the head coaching you know hirings were you know either in the past or being finalized is the fact that you have you have three African American coordinators yeah. uh, in this game and you know both the only two offensive uh, coordinators who are black, you know, are the two, the last two standing. Um, and I think that is probably the, the only other storyline that I think would have made a real dent this week. And uh, as much as I, you know, just kind of lambasted um, all the stupid storylines and the, you know, all the stuff that goes on at media week, uh, I think those are things that, uh, you know, I, I really would have liked to have a real time in the spotlight and two weeks for, you know, the NFL and NFL fans to kind of just sit and, and chew on. I do. Yeah. We see both, no, I was going to say, we see both coaching staffs, uh, both head coaches, Bruce Arians and, and Andy Reid kind of definitely show frustration over the fact that those guys, I mean, haven't really gotten a fair shake. Um, you know, uh, Arians is upset that Byron Leftwich didn't really get any on the coaching uh, interviews and, Obviously, Reed uh, has expressed his frustration over the Eric enemy situation. So I agree that that is that is something that you know we've seen a little bit of this uh, this week. But you know, would have like you said, shined an even bigger light on that kind of uh, that kind of topic. Yeah, just want to remind everyone that Bruce Arians basically came out of retirement because Byron Leftwich. He thought Byron Leftwich deserved to be an offensive coordinator. Bruce Arians had always called the plays as a head coach. Had kind of never even had a legitimate, you know, offensive coordinator at his side until Leftwich, and you know, maybe he had this plan that he was going to bring the Bucks back to the Super Bowl and get Brady down the line. But 
I imagine that a really strong part of him uh, at the time took that job knowing the opportunities um, that he could provide for, uh, you know, for coaches that he believed in. And I do want to get to some of this, uh, the matchups in this game, but staying on this subject, because now that we're here, um, I guess we know we've talked about it a bunch with Eric Bieniemy um, not getting jobs, but obviously, as you mentioned, there's two other black coordinators, of course, top roles. He did get one shot at the head coach of the New York Jets, Byron Leftwich, of course, has not been uh, really considered for jobs. What do you feel like, do, do you feel like this game, Will I guess I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, will this become, will this the spotlight they will have this week? Kind of like when we had Lovey Smith versus Tony Dungy in Super Bowl. I, I think that we could we probably have to go through the math, but I feel like just from like an anecdotal standpoint, I felt like black coaching hires certainly improved after that game. Do you feel like we may see a change in a better direction once we see this kind of? game with this black excellence on the sidelines happen or do you feel like will it kind of just only be this kind of black eye the league is currently dealing with right now yeah i mean that's an interesting question um you know i, I feel like uh it's tough it's, it, you really don't know because i would have said last year that oh after the chiefs winning like the enemy is, is almost guaranteed to get a job next year. i mean I, I don't know if i said that last year but i Sure, I probably would have if you would have asked me. Like, oh yeah, I'm sure yeah. somebody wired me. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if we're being honest, if we're going through some of the guys that got hired this year, um, yeah, I may not have known who they were <laughs> this time last year. Um, and Eric Bieniemy was obviously uh, a Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator this time last year. So, um, it's hard to say. You know, I mean, if the if the Chiefs put up a terrific performance, you know, I think. That will certainly help a terrific offense performance, particularly. That'll help the enemy, and same goes for for Leftwich. But at the same time, I think these guys are being uh, sort of punished for ha- coaching great players. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there that look at the enemy and say, "Oh, well, he's a product of Mahomes," or they look at Leftwich and say he's a product of, of Brady. And you know, to me, I mean, that's never been. I mean, we mentioned this before. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but that's never been a. a that's never been a benchmark or a measuring stick for hiring head coaches. I mean, how many, how many guys that coached Brady? I mean, Josh McDaniels has been interviewed for how many jobs <laughs> over the years? I mean, nobody, nobody looked at him and said he was a product of Tom Brady. Um, yeah, he 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 so good. He turned down he turned down jobs. That's how good he had it. Yeah, he, yeah, he had the ability to turn down jobs. Uh, I mean. Brandon Staley just got a job in 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 with the Chargers, and I'm sure Brandon Staley's a a terrific head coach, but nobody said he's a product of Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Um, you know, if you coach great players, I mean, that's a great opportunity, but you still have to, you still have to scheme these guys up. And that's what, that's what Leftwich has done. That's what uh, Eric Bieniemy has done. That's what Tyler Bowles has done. And to me, it's hard for me to, you know, it's hard for me to say that, but I, it's hard for me to say what's going to happen uh, next year because it's such a, it's such a crap shoot right now. Um, I hope it gets better, but I don't know. Rob, can this game potentially be a watermark or whatever that term is, watershed moment, something like that? <laughs> uh, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> I think it's probably unlikely because the this year's coaching cycle is over. Um, you know, unless one of these guys is going to take you know a college job this off season, uh, 
they'll be evaluated on what they do next season. And then what you're going to see is if Tom Brady declines, you know, Byron Leftwich is going to take that hit. And Eric Bieniemy kind of has nowhere to go down after these past two years. Um, it's really a shame for them in, in their individual situations. Um, what it really highlights is that the, the reason that, when, that these jobs keep going to these other guys um, specifically, you know, more establishment people. And I know Robert Sala got hired um, and that's great. And I know a lot of Jets fans who are excited about it. It's that there's only two offensive coordinators that, that are black that they have to choose from. And only one of them calls plays. And if you go to all the offense, the other 30 offensive coordinators, I know that uh, the next year there'll be three, assuming that everyone currently in their job stays in their job. Um, but if you look at those 32 offensive coordinators, I would venture to guess that all 32 of them employ white quarterback coaches. Um, I don't know that for certain because uh, you know, I'm not familiar with every single coaching staff yeah, in the league, but two. that's that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, I believe there's two um, black uh, quarterback coaches in the league for next well, season. But you weren't uh, far the fact that. Yeah, the fact that I'm I'm super surprised that there are two, it, it probably tells you all you need to, all you need to know. And you know the Anthony Lins um, that come out of running back coaches are, are are few and far between. And I know that defensive, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, there's a lot more, you know, there's a lot more diversity and, and there's a lot more ability for growth. But the truth is, is that the defensive coordinators aren't considered as seriously as offensive coordinators right now which it's it there's so many system systemic problems here that prevent that from happening um but on an individual level i don't think what happens this week is going to be remembered during the next coaching cycle um you know most of the time you make to the super bowl and you miss your chance that coaching cycle and a guy like frank reich who was hired a year after his super bowl you know offensive uh, coordinating season you know, he only got that job because Josh McDaniels turned it down just mm-hmm. to kind of roll that back into one. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's uh it's 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 unfortunate. Unfortunately, I, I agree. I'm not sure that this will uh, change the tide. I think the one thing, and I guess the last thing I'll say on this before we get back to like the game, but like I think I don't think enough people have considered the idea that NFL owners and NFL GMs, NFL presidents, these guys are very stubborn people. And the one thing I feel like I've learned about the Shield is the Shield doesn't like to be told what to do, even if it is in the best interest of the Shield sometimes. And I I really legitimately feel at this point there is a level of spite where they don't want to be told how to run their organizations. They don't want to be told how to um, hire their coaching staffs. And I think that at this point, especially when you have certain teams that decided that there was no reason for them to even want to interview uh, someone like Airbnb enemy. I think that there's a lot of teams that are saying, we know better than you, people in the media and the fans that are complaining, and we're not going to just like bow down or just listen to you guys yelling about this issue when yeah. we feel like we know what's best. And I think that there's certainly a lot of spite coming from at least some of these franchises. I'm not going to say it's every franchise, but you know, again, for some of these franchises, like again, for Houston Texans, for you know your start your, your franchise quarterback say that I would like you to seriously consider homeboy and you don't you decide you're not going to interview like that to me that that speaks to that's not 
normal. That's not normal operating procedure. That's not normal uh, front office works. Now we will talk about Texans later, and you can argue <laughs> the text nothing about Texans what they do is normal. But to me, when I see that those examples, I see other examples of teams not even want to give him, not want to give him a call. Not none of these teams want to interview um, uh, Leftwich. Like there's, the, it's getting to a point where I think that the some of these teams are tired, and the owners are tired of being told what to do. Like they were, they were bullied. I don't want to say bullied. Because it was the right thing to do, but they were strong-armed uh, into the doing the rooting rule, um, and you know they they went kicking and screaming, but they eventually did something after the years of people complaining. And I think that I don't know how I don't know how you really fix this at this point, but I think that you're going to end up seeing probably what's going to have to happen is you're going to have to have have to have um, another. Tony Dungy situation where you have, you know, a, a black NFL head coach who goes, takes his team really far, and and hopefully that that guy can end up opening the door and, for other and people. And not only would also make someone like Dungy great, um, and like Lovey Smith is like, where particularly Dungy was, you know, he had a ton of black assistants. Exactly. You know? You know, his entire staff. You know, it was his entire staff. But, you know, I was the majority. Yeah. Rob Manelli was on there. <laughs> what you said? Rob, Mar- Rob Marinelli was on there, too. <laughs> yeah, Rob entirely black. <laughs> uh, Tom Moore, you know, was OC. Um, but, like, but, you know, he, that that allowed guys like Leslie Frazier, you know, to spread their own wings, you know. And um, so like, we're going to, I mean, that's, that's, it's unfortunate that that has to be the, um, that has to be the the only way is we have to <laughs> we have to push our own people, but that that's the um, that seems to be the the, the trend. And I, you know, I agree that I think the the enemy is being kind of he's being almost hurt by you know so much of the you know the push to try to get him a job that I think, like you said, these these organizations are now almost feeling pressured to hire him, which is why they almost don't want to. Um, and it's like. It's a, it's unfortunate because I mean the Texans you know credit to them for I mean they did hire the only black coach in the in the in, in this year's coaching cycle but it was I mean I, and I don't they know were, they they were they were held hostage <laughs> when they did yeah, they were held hostage and they went with somebody that no one no no one had pegged for them and I'm not saying that they but it, it, I'm not saying I, maybe they went through the, all the right steps but it just didn't feel like. You know, it felt like kind of a middle finger, you know, to to say that we're going to hire somebody that uh, none of you guys talked about, you know, just to just to send a message. And it is fine. Um, Hopefully, David Sully does great. But um, again, I mean, the criteria, I don't know. It's still just basketball that no one went there again. That's that's it's it, it feels like bad management, if we're being honest. You know, I mean, in what in what prior case? Would a guy that's been the offensive coordinator of the best offense in the NFL for the last two years not be a head coach after that? Period. It, it's strange, and I, you know, I, I can't tell these teams how to do their job. But you know, I mean, best case scenario, best case scenario, uh, or worst case scenario rather, uh, Bianami will almost certainly be Andy Reid's successor in Kansas City. So. Um, he may just decide to wait it out, depending on how long Andy Reid wants to coach. So that's the one. Uh, yeah, that's the one to rely on. That's that's pretty much what I'm hoping for at this point. Um, 
But I do feel like, you know, not having that Dungy figure in the NFL currently is Tom, Tom, Mike Tomlin is that guy, but, you know, even he's, yeah. like, holding on thread. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I just think people people don't, people don't respect Tomlin the way they respect Dungy. Right. And, you know, you know, we could have an argument back and forth of why that is, but um, but they just don't. I, I don't think that he carries that same weight. And... I mean, I'll be honest, I don't feel like, I mean, I, I, he certainly has black assistants and he's, he's trying to promote people, but I guess to me, the influence that Dungy had was just different. He had a different kind of influence, and I think people, ownership and front offices really, like, bought into his word when he said a guy was good. Um, or even if they didn't, he didn't talk to them, but him, a guy just being under his system, people bought into that. Uh, people don't buy into Mike Tomlin, I think, like in that way. And I think part of part of it's probably because he is part of a organization that is like kind of like an institution. I think a lot of people look at Mike Tomlin as a product. I think a lot of people look at Mike, Mike Tomlin as a product of the Steelers. And I, I say yeah. a lot of people. I'm talking mostly in the NFL. I'm not necessarily talking about fans, but I think people as NFL look at the Steelers as you know, the organization that has that stability, why they go to playoffs all the time and things like that. I don't think they necessarily look at Mike Tomlin. I think he's just there. He's a good coach. I don't think I don't think they don't think he's a good coach, but I think that they feel like it's the institution. Like with Tony Dungy, you know, he's coaching the Buccaneers, the Yuccaneers, you know. <laughs> like he's, he's you know, they're not the Buccaneers we're talking about now. They, I mean, they're talking about one of the most worst sports franchises in the history of sports when he took over. So he is the Buccaneers when he's there and his assistants are getting promoted and his assistants are getting jobs. You know, even when he goes to Indianapolis, you say, okay, they had Peyton Manning, but they had the, they had the playoffs, you know, Peyton Manning. They didn't have the 48 touchdowns, Peyton Manning. They had the Jim Moore, Peyton Manning, when he was yelling about the playoffs. Like that, it was a different time. So I think even with the Colts, it was a lot more respect because it was like Peyton and Tony are the reasons why this organization is where they are. I mean, I don't know, Rob, do you feel that way as well? I definitely feel that way about Tomlin, and uh, there's there's also kind of that Tony Dungy, that Dennis Green, and even uh, you know Tomlin kind of came out of the area, um, was real you know a, a big leadership, um, big leadership error for hiring coaches, and you know as you could see with you know uh, something as simple as the Jets hiring Gase two years ago is that leadership is sometimes pushed aside for uh, you know these kind of like scheme lords. And, you know, a guy like Eric Bieniemy can get tossed aside because we haven't seen evidence of his scheme because they're running the same stuff in Kansas City, more or less, that Andy Reid's been running since Philadelphia, that Kansas City ran when uh, Matt Nagy was the offensive coordinator. You know, Byron Leftwich is really running a version of Arian's offense that we've seen for 15 years. Um, you know, a guy like Brandon Staley gets hired because the Rams had an unbelievably you know, innovative and different scheme. Like Kyle Shanahan could point to four or five stops where they were doing the same basic things that, you know, once he got, you know, his real chance that they kind of point to. And those typically favor younger coaches. They favor offensive coaches and they favor quarterback coaches. Um, And that's not always the case, but, you know, they're not favoring, you know, the, the type of coaches that have, you know, been grinding it out for you know 20 years working their way from you know db coach to 
you know, linebacker coach to, or from running back coach or to tight ends coach on the way up. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of other things besides the, the race issue that makes it specific. You know, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, a lot of these guys are, are coaches' sons. They got their first job. You know, Schottenheimer just gets a Brian Schottenheimer. And I know his father is, you know, is very sick right now. Just yeah, for sure. Hospice. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to, you know, take all my, all my wrath out on Brian today. But, you know, he's gotten a lot of jobs. Um, and, and most of them, I think the fan base is um, – at least anecdotally, would probably be unhappy with his performance. Um, you know, he's had number one pick in Sam Bradford. He's had Russell Wilson. He went to college in Georgia, and now they're giving him a chance with with what we assume is Trevor Lawrence. Um, so there's a lot lot that goes into it, and it's a lot about kind of who you know and, and how you get raised to that profile. Um, but but truthfully, it, it often means that people have been working very hard for a long time. And building their reputation slowly, um, in an old school way, uh, they end up with a resume that says, "Well, if you haven't been a head coach before, why, or why are we going to consider you now?" Um, so that's working against them too, especially when we go back. Only two offensive coordinators uh, that are African American in the NFL. You know, that's just by percentage wise. You know, if you're going to hire five at random, you might not pick one. Yeah, man, uh, it's it's a, it's somewhat. I didn't <laughs> I didn't anticipate the first Super Bowl conversation outside of uh, you know kind of sizing up the gravity of the game to be uh, you know something so dark, unfortunately. But um, but it's the state of where we are. I guess the last thing I'll say is you know I just feel like at the end of the day, just like we saw pro athletes and athletes in the NFL, you know, make a stand by you know raising their voice and talking about the injustice that was happening. Um, with Kaepernick and with, you know, police brutality and racism and things like that. I mean, it's time for them to uh, speak up and say, hey, you know, we see what's happening with front offices and with coaching staffs and we don't like it. And I think as long as the players, their attitude towards it, and I don't think, I, and like people are talking, I don't, I, every time, you know, sometimes you make these statements and, you know, you don't want to paint with a broad brush because I've, I've seen plenty of athletes come out every coaching cycle, it seems like. Uh, I'd say, hey, man, this is messed up. But it needs to go more than just, hey, man, this is messed up, is what I'm trying to say. Is They didn't do, hey, man, this is messed up for Kaepernick. They didn't do, hey, man, this is messed up for racism and police brutality. They did more. It's time for them to use that power that they use in other aspects when it comes to coaching hires. And it's it's in every sport. You know, we have athletes that, you know, they, if they don't take this seriously as an issue that matters to them, then... The owners won't have a reason to take it seriously as long as they're still making billions, which is what they're going to continue to make. So I think that's really going to be where the change comes. But staying back onto this matchup between the Chiefs and the Bucks, um, Rob, are there any key matchups you kind of identify as uh, as kind of make or break for either team um, coming into this game? Uh, and the key matchup for me is, and I just think that the Kansas City offense versus the, the Tampa Bay defense because you know Kansas City's defense versus Tampa Bay's offense you know that could go either way you know if Tom Brady is getting the better of them you know that wouldn't be surprising even with his struggles but the first time they matched up you know Tyreek Hill had 203 yards in the first quarter yeah he just abused Carlton Davis so they're gonna you you could be sure that they're gonna have a different strategy for defending Tyreek Hill uh Travis Kelsey also went off in that game, 
Um, and I know that the Buccaneers kind of, uh, they had some injuries. Uh, I don't believe Devin White played in that game. Devin White, Levante David, Devin White is probably a top three linebacker in the league right now. I would and say so. the way he's been playing the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, you know, my love for Bobby Wagner, but, uh, you know, Devin White is kind of taking the mantle um, during this playoffs. Is but Levante David is, you know, has a Hall of Fame career that he's kind of put together. He's been right up there with Keekley and Wagner for the last, you know, better part of a decade. So they have the horses there. I have no idea if one player can guard Kelsey anyway, but they are going to have to figure out how to keep those two guys in check and not let somebody else just run free because God bless Sammy Watkins and Nicole Hardman. They're not some superstar players, but they're the type of guys that are probably better than whatever corner you have going against them. And if they're in one-on-one coverage, they will gash you as well. So those, the matchups I'm looking to see are all in terms of how does Tampa Bay kind of get, you know, just stay in front of or stay behind uh, the Chiefs' offensive weapons, and can they get a pass rush uh, on a depleted Chiefs' offensive line that, you know, forces Kansas City and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy to make some adjustments on how they attack. And Kendall, I would say that that to me, uh, <clears throat> the last point Rob made to me is is going to be uh, a key for me because Aaron Rodgers had been really pretty much on a tear. And I thought he even played pretty well in that game they lost. But to me, the difference outside of some you know peculiar coaching decisions in some aspects was the, the pass rush that the Buccaneers were able to, to engineer. And they had injuries on their front line as well. The Chiefs come in with injuries on their front line. Do you see that as a potential uh, you know, make-or-break matchup coming into this week, the, the Bucks pass rush against that uh, Chiefs offensive line that's a little banged up, or a lot banged up? depending on who you, who you talk to. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that that's, uh, I mean, that's going to be huge. Um, you know, obviously, I think really on both sides of the ball, um, you know, whichever whichever line can can, can create more pressure, um, and, and I agree particularly on the Tampa side, um, you know, I thought, I think we've seen Jason Pierre-Paul kind of, kind of, you know, play, he's played well. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah, he's played well, uh, and obviously Rob, Rob mentioned that on the on the second the second level, uh, they have an excellent linebacking core. Um, it's funny is uh, is Devin White? Would we say he's better than Clone Farrell? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, I would. <laughs> yeah, I hope they, I think the Raiders uh, wish they could have that one back, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's. I mean, uh, and look, we can go over like the entire Tampa defense. It's it's they're loaded on 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 every level. Um, if they're getting Winfield back, that's only another guy uh, that you can add to that defense. Jordan Whitehead um, is, has been banged up, but um, I expect him to play as well. And I mean that that's 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 going to be. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a huge key is going to be whether or not they can get pressure on Mahomes. Um, cause the chief's line is, it's not, it's not special. Um, and that's, that's the, that's going to be the key factor. I think in this one of the key factors in this game. Um, but I'm really, I'm really intrigued to see what kind of, um, 
what kind of what kind of performance can the can the Bucks get from Leonard Fournette? I mean, what kind of running game yeah. can they really establish against Kansas City? Um, because if if Fournette and 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 Jones can make plays in the running game, that'll open up so many things for Brady. Um, that I think is going to be a uh, a huge key in this game as well. Yeah, I agree, man. I feel like Leonard Fournette um, is really starting to kind of come into his own recently. I think the season he had this year, I think he would consider to be uh, up and down, probably, to put it kind. But the way he was running, the way he's been running in the playoffs, I think that you got to feel happy with the way he's been playing. Um, he's been running hard, he's been running angry, and he's looking more like you know the, the top first-round pick that we saw him be in 2017. Rob, do you feel like... Uh, the Bucks can have success running against this Chiefs defense? Because I feel like, you know, with these teams, it's always kind of easier said than done. It's like, oh, well, we can run the ball, we can control the clock, and that's how we win. It's like, yeah, but you got to, you know, you, you got to run well on first down and second down and not get behind the chains in order to do that. Do you think that's something that the Bucks are, are capable of doing against this defense? I, I wouldn't expect. I wouldn't expect the run game to be a deciding factor for, for either team. You know, it's going to come up big in, in places, but you know, these teams are both want to throw the ball to win. These teams are stacked. Um, obviously, you know, big moves at quarterback and stacked at the receiver and, uh, and tight end positions. And that's really what they want to do. You know, if you can get you know 70 yards out of Fournette and maybe, you know, a couple of key, you know, first downs on, uh, on some short yardage runs, um, I think that as much as you're as you're really going to ask of him, um, if he breaks a long one, God bless him. But uh, I don't think that I don't think it's going to be a focus of the Bucks to try to run the ball, and you know I don't think it's going to be something that they think they live or die on. That's interesting to me because I feel like, and I know you say you have thoughts on Brady. I feel like I think the Bucks have no chance in attract me with this team. I know the Bucks have a lot of weapons. Um, I know they kind of come with a high powered offense. But to me, I, and I know he's Tom Brady, and maybe I'm, I'm poking the bear, but that second half against Green Bay was frightening to me. I mean, that looked like, uh, you know, Brett Favre uh, in the snow in Seattle playing for the Jets. You know, that looked like... Um, Drew Brees against Tampa Bay. Yeah, yeah, Drew Brees was last week. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that, that looked scary to me. That didn't look like a Super Bowl caliber quarterback who's going up against a Maserati in terms of what the Chiefs offense is. So to me, if the Bucks' plan isn't to try to lean on the run game, and when I say lean on the run game, I think it's relative. You know, we just don't see teams besides the Titans, really, and maybe the Raiders, running the ball 30, 40 times a game. I, that's just, or especially not with one guy. I don't think that anybody expects that. But I think if they don't anticipate Fournette, coming close to 20 carries, I think that they're in a trouble, a world of hurt. Because I don't think that Brady can can go shot for shot with Mahomes. I don't care how many great weapons he has. I think the Chiefs defense is too solid. And I don't trust his accuracy or his uh, his makeup in the pocket. I, I think that, you know, the Bucks at times have looked to be kind of predictable. And... Their line has played really well. I think that that's something that we need to speak about because I think that's been the difference for a lot of the season. When Brady's had time, uh, he's looked great. But I didn't feel like last week the Packers were just all over him when he was throwing those picks. He just looked awful. So I don't know how you feel, Kendall, but to me, I, I think a track meet 
is is a is a blowout for the Buccaneers. I don't think they can win that game. Yeah, you know, it it feels a little bit like like we got like we had in the in the college football national championship where like Ohio State wasn't able to match the firepower that Alabama brought. And that Alabama, you know, I mean being able to score on every possession, you know, as well as Ohio State played, um, they just couldn't keep up. Um and I kind of feel like if, if Tampa tried to play that kind of style in this game, um, you know, I I mean, I you know I think the play action is going to be uh, going to be huge. Um, we don't know if Antonio Brown's going to play. I assume he's going to play, um, but, but I don't know if that'll hurt him that much. It didn't hurt him uh, at all last week because uh, they have such a deeper uh, receiving core. Um, but uh, you know, I agree. I, I don't know how much. Um, or I don't know how how well this team could play in a in a game that got out of hand offensively. Um, not to not to say they don't have firepower uh, in their own right, but yeah, and I don't know. Mahomes is, and this this Chiefs offense is a different is a different animal. I guess that's that's the I guess the question is really can they get stops defensively? And if they can get stops defensively, then I guess then what. What, is, what do we mean by track me? You know, if this game's in the 30s, I think Tampa could win. If this game gets into the 40s in terms of a score, I, I don't, I don't know if they can win. I don't, I don't, I don't envision them putting up that kind of that kind of uh, offensive output. Um, but really, I, you know, I, I, you know, I think they'll have to. They're gonna have to make plays, obviously, um, and find guys like like Godwin and, and Evans, but. You know, I, you know, it, w- it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if Fournette ended up being a, uh, you know, a sleeper kind of kind of MVP guy, um, on the Buck side at least. Uh, yeah, I mean, like Rob, we did this game kind of a couple weeks ago when um, Tampa played Washington. We were, you know, we were trying to talk about that game and, and see. You know, I told, you know, to me, like, it was very clear that the number for Washington was 23. Because when you watch uh, their games and the games they won, or even the games they lost, it seemed like their ceiling was 23 points. And if you thought that the Washington couldn't keep them under 23 points, then they had no chance to win, which I didn't think they could. And they did. They lost 31-23. They actually hit exactly the number I said that they needed to hit to try to keep Tampa Bay under. When I look at the Bucks, I see something very similar. Um, I see basically 30 to 31 points being the ceiling for that. 31 against Washington, 30 against New Orleans, and that included almost kind of a pick six, pseudo pick six, 31 against Green Bay. Um, that's kind of been where they've lived, um, in the playoffs. They did have big games against, you know, the end of the season against the, the Detroit and Atlanta. Um, but even the, the second game they played against Atlanta, or the first game rather, that was on the road. It was 31 points. So, to me, do you see it as simply as I see it? Where it's like, do I think the Chiefs are going to score under 31 points and that's going to be the difference in the game? Or do you think that uh, there is a possibility that the um, the Bucs can, can hold the Chiefs under that number? I definitely think that you're right about the, the Bucks just upside. And, and I think that you know, that New Orleans game is the perfect example because they put up you know, you know, in the 30s, but it, it took it took you know, 
three turnovers that gave yeah. him gave him the ball. It was it was three touchdowns that Brady had that were you know less than like forty seven yards of total field position. Um, the buck and I believe in the Saints defense in a way that I don't believe in the Chiefs. The Chiefs is a little bit more bend but don't break. Um, and I think that you know Tom Brady is uniquely suited to take advantage of a defense like that, especially if the Chiefs are not turning the ball over. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, if you're a Chiefs fan, Teron Matthew is going to come up big here and force the ball out like he's done so many times out. But uh, but they're not just they're not going to win a track meet. Is right. It's just uh, m- my vision of them uh, keeping up with Mahomes is, is with a couple of stops early, with a couple of turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere along the game and kind of maybe jumping them with somehow putting, you know, consecutive scoring drives and just getting a quick, you know, 14 points on them um, to kind of get a lead where they can play in a more comfortable way. And I know they had that lead last week against the Packers and, you know, Tom Brady tried his hardest to give that game back to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. But um, and in a way that I think Patrick Mahomes I would have thought Aaron Rodgers would have took it, taken advantage of it, but I certainly think that Mahomes is going to take advantage of it if they do that. But I definitely think that they're looking at you know, trying to get a fumble recovery, trying to pick off Mahomes, who threw two interceptions in the Super Bowl last year. Mm-hmm. And this Bucks team is really built on that defense and their ability to, to strike with, with some you know, big players, you know, Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski. They're just terrors in the red zone. And Chris Godwin, he's up with a big play. You know, at any time, um, but but their path to winning this game is is really to kind of hold Mahomes to a level much lower than what he's used to you know, playing at. All right, let's go to prediction time, Kendall. Who do you got here? Bucks at home, rare rare situation. Bucks at home against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I mentioned it on the show a couple of weeks ago. We had the debate, like we always have, um, pretty much before any, you know, we, we get down to the playoffs in any uh, or in any uh, sport, uh, of who's the team of destiny. And I, I mentioned to you that I thought it felt like it was Tampa. And I think Tampa is going to find a way to win this game. Um, I agree with Rob. I think uh, turnovers is going to be huge. Um, and... You know, I don't know who the guy. I don't know who the guy is. Whether it's you know, we've seen Murphy Bunting obviously play uh, tremendous in, these, in this oh, entire yeah. postseason. Absolutely. Um, you know, they have Carl Carlton Davis on the other sides, a uh, very solid corner. Um, could be a young guy like Winfield coming back from injury. I don't know who the guy is on defense that makes those plays. Uh, and of course, you mentioned uh, uh, White and Monte David, but you know, I think that that's going to be a huge key. Um, I think Todd Bowles is one of the best defense coordinators in the league, and I think he's gonna he's gonna have a plan. Uh, not to, I mean, not you're not gonna you're not gonna completely shut down this this Kansas City offense, but um, I think it's gonna be lower scoring than people expect. Um, and I think Tampa wins. Uh, I'm gonna say they win twenty seven twenty four. What do you say, Rob? You know, it's always a, a running joke with me that, uh, you know, whenever I talk to anybody, I'm like, I, stop, I want to stop talking about the quarterbacks. You know, I look at you know, <laughs> offensive lines, the defense. Like, I just hate, like, making this so simple that it's a quarterback game. Um, you know, and I look at, you know, last year's Super Bowl champion Chiefs, and I think, you know, Mitchell Schwartz was 
you know, kind of the best player during that postseason. You know, right up there with Mahomes, who threw two picks in the Super Bowl, and yeah, he bailed them out late. Um, and you know, Mitchell Schwartz not going to be there. The 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 Bucks just have have so many good players. That defense is really clicking. I know they're not perfect in the secondary, but I love Antoine Winfield. Um, and and just like I did two weeks ago with Green Bay, I look at the way Aaron Rodgers is playing. I look at the way that Mahomes is playing. And I, he just feels inevitable to me. I can't get that second half of Brady out of my head. I can't get how bad Brady was against the Saints out of my head. Um, he just – so here I am going against everything I believe and just picking the best quarterback. I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. Yeah, I, I'm going I'm to I'm side with Rob here. I, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I just I just feel like, as Rob said, you know, I think to, to, to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, I think you need excellent quarterback play. That doesn't necessarily mean your quarterback throws for 400 yards and four touchdowns. You know, excellent quarterback play could be just not turning the ball over. You know, that could be just being steady, moving the chains, making big third down conversions. And... Again, I, I, I caution by saying I know who I'm talking about. I know I'm talking about TB12. I know what he's done. I know every time you doubt him, he comes back and puts on a virtuoso performance. And I know what Kendall's talking about with Team of Destiny. It feels like it's lining up for all of that. But I I, I just I just don't see it with him, with this team. I don't see the level of play he would have to, to the, the level he had to rise to, I think, to beat this team. I feel like Mahomes has shown that he could beat very good teams on his B minus C plus game. You could argue last year's Super Bowl was a C plus B minus game. And, you know, they won. It wasn't like it was easy, but they, they won uh, de- decisively. I wouldn't say it was, it was, you know, they had to come back. I know they were down in the fourth quarter, but they ended up winning by two scores, I believe. So, I mean, do I think that that game Mahomes played last week? Tom Brady can, oh, excuse me, last year, if he does something like that again, which I don't think he will do because I think that a lot of the nerves and the things, the issues he dealt with, just kind of like first time in the Super Bowl jitters that go into that last game, I don't think he'll go through this year. But let's say even if he does give you that B-minus game, do I think that Brady, who has to play, to me, his A-minus game, I would say, to win, do I think he's going to play that way against this Chiefs defense? No, I don't, I don't see that. I think that... Um, I expect Chris Jones to, to, to make some plays. Um, Rob mentioned Tyron Matthew. He's one of my favorite players in the league defensively. He just always seems to rise future up. Future Hall of games. Famer? F- future Hall of Famer, Tyron Matthew? I would say so. I would say he's, yeah. I would say he's can't bound to me. Um, Love it. Love he, it. He, he's, he's, he's a stud. And I, I <laughs> Brady was just so loose to ball last week. I'm like, the idea that Matthew's not going to make a play this week, I don't see that happening. I like He's going to make something's going to happen. It's going to be a big play. And I think it'll be the difference. I think that this will be a respectable game. I don't think this is going to be uh, a blowout. Cause I, I do think that the Bucks will run with some success. I think that will kind of rattle the Chiefs a little bit. But I think in the end, what we see with this team is hang with them for four quarters is you have to play almost perfect football. And the Bucks offensively don't play perfect enough football. And I think defensively, the way they play defense, I mean, they're an aggressive style defense, you know, they're going to be blown coverages. There's going to be um, mistakes. And I don't think they're going to be able to make up for all that. So I'll say the Bucks, excuse me, the Chiefs win this game 
Uh, let me get a final score of like 37-26. Like, I think it's going to be a weird score. Um, it'll probably be close in the third quarter. I think you'll see the Bucks. excuse me, the Chiefs. I don't know why I keep calling them the Bucks. The Chiefs pull away in the, uh, in the fourth. Um, so we got to talk about some other big news that happened in the NFL this week. So the Rams made the first offseason splash, and it was before the offseason even began because right now we're still, again, in the postseason technically. But days after the GM, Lesneed, uh failed to commit to long-term to former quarterback, former number one pick, Jared Goff, the Rams elected to trade Goff and two first-round picks and a third-round pick to the Lions for QB Matt Stafford. Stafford uh, was seeking a way out of Detroit after just three playoff appearances in 12 years, zero postseason wins. With this trade and the trade they made last season for um, Jalen Ramsey, that means they've given up now four first-round picks in these two blockbuster deals. Rob, uh, does Stafford make L.A. a Super Bowl contender to you? Uh, yes, he does, and that's because the – Rams were already a Super Bowl contender. You know, uh, they have the best defense in the league this year. I, uh, and Jared Goff wasn't good enough to get the job done. Um, and he was hurt, and, and they had a lot of things going on. And the NFC is packed so tightly um, that that you know the Bucks are you know the fifth seed. They are probably the the fourth or fifth best team in the NFC, and, and no one's counting them out against the best team in the AFC. So the NFC is going to stay tight next year um, but Stafford's going to give him a little bit of an edge um, and particularly as the defense is going to decline just because defenses are volatile because they lost their defensive coordinator um, because they're not going to have the injury luck that that they had this year with you know Leonard Floyd you know Jalen Ramsey you know John Johnson everybody kind of stayed healthy except for Donald uh, towards the end of the season um, I think Stafford is a big enough of an upgrade on Goff that he, he kind of just gives them a little bit more margin for error where, where Goff, everything had to go perfectly for you know, him to get down there deep in the playoffs. And truthfully, I mean, everything went pretty close to perfect. Um, you know, three out of the four years that, that he was there um, with McVay. So uh, if the Rams keep kind of just taking care of business, they're going to have to pay this bill you know, down the line. But they'll be a contender the next couple of years with Stafford and that defense. Um, as much as they can keep it intact. Yeah, this is a um, this is a this is a move that I look. I get it. If you're the Rams and you're in a position where you feel like our window is undoubtedly now to win a championship, we've got Jalen Ramsey, we've got Aaron Donald in the prime of their careers, making a ton of money, um, and they felt like one of the one of the major major things that was holding them back. Um, was Jared Goff, and some may say that Jared Goff is a is a middle of the road solid quarterback that you can win with him. He had them in the Super Bowl uh, just a few years ago, um, but I think internally, I think in LA, I think they thought that Goff was only the any any of his success was the product of Sean McVay. None of it was Jared Goff. Um, now I like Jared Goff coming out of Cal. Um, I liked him better than Carson Wentz in that draft. Um, I don't really know if I feel the same. Uh, you know, I think if I could have one right now, I think I would take Wentz, despite the issues that he's had. But, um, but at the same time, um, you know, look, I get it that they felt like uh, Matthew Stafford was a player that could, that has that 
talent level. He has that experience and that he was kind of the opposite of Jared Goff, where he was able to stay middle of the road to top, you know, 10 to 12 quarterback in the league without any of the the, the pieces around him with, you know, a, you know kind of a mediocre uh, offensive, certainly mediocre offensive talent around him, but also mediocre, uh, some would say, uh, coaching. Um, you know, mm. I was with Daryl Bevel, not exactly, uh, <laughs> you know, guru. Bill Walsh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it, it's – and look, I get all of that. But if you're the Rams, I mean, if you're the, the Lions, then you – I mean, you love the compensation I think you got back. Um, I understand Goff's contract isn't great, but he gives you a stopgap guy uh, in the in the interim, and you get uh, multiple first round picks. Um, that's to me. I mean, I think that's that's very very uh, fair value for for Matthew Stafford um, if you're the if you're the Lions. So I, I mean, I think it makes sense for both teams. I think if you would like the Rams to have swung a little higher, but they just didn't have the asset base. They, I think they wanted Rodgers, but Rodgers isn't available. So, I mean, look, they made the move. Stafford's really close to Sean McVay, uh, whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think they, they you know, he, his Stafford's wife uh, is the brother of McVay's high school friend. You know, so that's a uh, it's a situation where you know, obviously there was there was a connection there, but hopefully that wasn't the reason why they decided to, you know obviously dump a whole lot of assets in, in, in trying to get Matthew Stafford. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense for a team that feels like they're right there. Um, I would, I'd be interested to know what is the market for some of these other guys that are going to be available. Because if I told you that, again, maybe like Carson Wentz was available. I mean, you could argue what's the difference between Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. And then that, then that's fair. And you feel like Matthew Stafford really does get you there. Um, they're just not in the business of being cheap at the quarterback position anymore. And certainly Jared Goff was cheap. They paid him a ton of money, but they weren't being cheap in terms of talent. They feel like we want to get a, a, a real A-plus talent at quarterback. And maybe Matthew Stafford's not an A-plus talent, but he's a he's an A-minus talent. I mean, that was the number one pick in the draft. One of the more talented QB prospects we've seen coming out. Um this has been an awful situation. So they feel like we need that kind of we need that kind of player behind behind the center and they got it. So now this pressure's on Sean McVay at this point. You know, they got they got him his guy. They gave up all the assets. He he you know, he pounded the table to get him. And now you gotta win football games. Yeah, I'm I guess I'll I'm DJ gonna... before you go. Yeah. Can I start a fight? <laughs> okay. Right. Let's see. So Let's see where this is going. I was just comparing this to, to two like situations that were kind of similar in terms of teams that were ready to compete mm-hmm. and scrambling at quarterback. And it reminds me of when uh, the Vikings traded for Sam Bradford. And it also remember, reminds me of when the Vikings switched Case Keenum out for Kirk Cousins. And what they ended up with, with was <laughs> Sam Bradford and Kirk Cousins and a really good team. And I know that the, the Rams – just have no ammo to improve, you know, in the long term. But I, I think they're in a, a so much of a better spot uh, with Matt Stafford and the team that they have. And I don't even think that they're as talented as the Vikings were in either of those seasons, um, aside from the quarterback position. I'm sure that was uh, yeah. painful for, for Kendall to, to live through. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the Sam Bradford trade. That one still is like, 
PTSD. <laughs> Yo, man, I, I I guess I guess I'm gonna be the the Debbie Downer on this deal. Um, Stafford is a good quarterback. Um, the numbers speak for themselves. He played in terrible situations for the most part, but I to me I just feel like you watch a guy for 12 years, and if I if I don't look at him and say Oh yeah, no, he's definitely a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. I'm not gonna run to him going to a good team and then I'll say, okay, well now he is. And and are there examples where guys are just on good teams and therefore they become Super Bowl Super Bowl quarterbacks? That happens a lot, and I get that. But there are a lot of examples. Right, you know, um but there are a lot of examples where you have guys who um who 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 they make those kind of deals, as Rob mentioned, for teams that think that they're close. And they end up taking they end up taking a step back because the team in a new system, quarterback in a new system, new city, um, new fit, more pressure. They don't live up to it. I, I just I've watched golf. I mean, excuse me, Stafford for twelve years. I don't see a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. I mean, I don't see a Super Bowl winning quarterback. I see a guy who puts up a lot of numbers. I see a guy who is tough. Um, but I don't know. I, I just feel like. I've watched too much terrible Thanksgiving football where he's playing in big spots and they don't look like they have a clue. I've seen too many I've seen too many wasted prime years of Calvin Johnson. I know that was a long time ago, but I'm still sour about it. I I I, I just can't run to this team and I see a great defense but and, and very good offensive weapons. I don't see great offensive weapons. I, I can't look at this team and I'll say you're definitely a Super Bowl contender because of Stafford. I'm looking more, to me, honestly, at McVay. I still feel like if they do make it, it's going to be a lot because of Sean McVay. Because I've just I've seen Stafford with a million different coaches, a million different, um, you know, uh, you know, sporting cast, and I've seen him with good players. Let's not act like the Lions have not had good players on offense since he's been there. Have they? They've never found a running back, and we all understand that. But we think about the receivers and the weapons he's had. And no playoff wins all these years? I, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't completely buy in until he shows me. You know, I'm not saying that it can't happen at all. But I think at this point for me with with, with um with Stafford, it's more of a, you know, show me and then I'll believe. But until I see it, I'm still not convinced that the Rams have taken that much of a step forward. They've taken a step forward probably. They're probably marginally better, you know, for a team that won, you know, 10 games. Uh, in the tough division, they'll, they'll probably be in a dogfight next year with the Seahawks for that division once again. We'll see if the 49ers rise up after all the injuries they had. But that's, that remains to be a tough division. I don't think that this is now guaranteed to be a team that's now uh, moving forward. You know, and guys I on look, defense, as good as they are, they're an older team. They're not a young team. So sometimes we see defenses and players slip from year to year. So I'm not also going to just pencil in say uh, Los Angeles having a number one ranked defense next year either, given all those guys on that defense are older. Not necessarily old, but if a decline started next year, it wouldn't shock me. And look, I think the point you make is one that I agree with, and I think ultimately this is a move that is made by the coaching staff. This isn't a move that I think the front office would love. 
Because, I mean, let's be honest. What scouting department, what personnel department loves giving rid, getting rid of their last their, – their All their first round picks, right. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, I feel bad for the scouts that now, like, put in a year of work to just be told, yeah, no, we're getting Matthew Stafford. <laughs> All right, whatever. Um, but it's – so this is a move where Sean McVay – um, you're putting your you're putting your chips on the table, um, it's, and look, Sean McVay's been compared to John Gruden for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he sounds like him, and yeah, he, he acts like him, uh, and he's a very good offensive coach. But you know, this feels like a, this feels like a John Gruden esque move, and it's something that uh, um, if he really loves Matthew, um, you know, as Rob Rob Rob, Rob would say, God bless him. <laughs> but um, you know, it's 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 interesting. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily look at him as, like you said. I mean, I don't think he's your stereotypical franchise quarterback, given the resume. Talent-wise, that he's there, uh, it's been there. But you know, McVay. I mean, McVay has to be convinced. He has to convince me that he is 100% without a shadow of a doubt sure that he can get the best out of Matthew Stafford, um, because I think most GMs around the league would want to. Obviously, like you want to get the best quarterback in the league, and again, they wanted Aaron Rodgers wasn't available. Uh, Deshaun Watson is going to cost you an arm and a leg, but ultimately, like you also want to find great value. And you know, if they could find their version of Case Keenum, you know, at that dirt cheap money, they would love to do that. But um, yeah, well, at least I would think the front office would love, would love to do that. And I think this year of all the years is going to be the easiest time to find a quarterback if you need one because there's going to be so much movement at the quarterback position and you have a very deep draft at the quarterback position so you could have you could have been patient and waited see oh what's going to happen with carolina if carolina drafts mac jones then maybe teddy bridgewater becomes available um he's not going to cost me two first round picks uh let's let's see what's going to happen with um I'm not saying I would go after Alex Smith, but you know Alex Smith may not is certainly going to be available. Um, you know, there's just so many. It's a volatile situation. We'll see what happens with Sam Darnold. See what happens with Carson Wentz. If Carson Wentz, if Sirianni wants to go with Wentz, and maybe Jalen Hurts is available. Th- those are the conversations that I think most front offices are having around the league. But the Rams are uniquely positioned where they have a head coach who has a lot of say and a lot of power, and must need trust Sean McVay for all the right reasons. Um, and the coach really wanted Matthew Stafford. So it's a, it's a unique situation. I don't think most teams currently would have made this move, but uh, Sean McVay really likes Matthew Stafford and they have a connection. So I think that's how this, this play this played out. Yeah. I would, my kind of argument just for in favor of Matthew Stafford, who I'm not like a huge fan of um, historically or anything, but um, I, I don't think that the difference between Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford is tremendous. And I think if McVeigh can do to Stafford what Kyle Shanahan did for Matt Ryan for that brief time, you know, it kind of just opens up this little two-year window here um, for the Rams. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not saying that they are the top of the NFC. Um, this, the NFC is going to be wild next year. Like I don't know what to expect from anyone because the Saints have kind of just been the class of the of the conference for four years and really just found every way to screw it up. But yeah. uh, you know, I think that the Rams are are in the mix if McVeigh can can kind of get you know some version of 2016 Matt Ryan out of Stafford. That's a I, I like the I do like the Stafford Ryan 
comparison. And I think that, you know, I, I think that I, I'm in line with, I agree completely. That's why I think I said that, you know, to me, this is more about McVay to me than it will be about Stafford. Um, but I do agree that in terms of a talent standpoint, I think you could make the case that Stafford and Ryan are, are similar. They have similar backgrounds. I don't know. Ryan's done probably, at that point, he probably had a little more playoff success, but it wasn't a lot. It, we're splitting hairs, really, I think, when you talk about, you know, pre-Shanahan Ryan and what we've seen from Stafford. So, um, look, I, I one thing I will say is I, I'm excited to see Stafford playing in L.A. and playing for what we think is a much more of a winning organization. I know the Rams are kind of a weird situation because they're new city and whatever, but um, the Detroit situation obviously wasn't working out and we've seen mismanagement there for so many years. And I think, you know, sometimes we have players that, you know, play their whole career or long parts of their career with one, you know, sorry team. You do the what ifs and we don't really have a fair conversation about Matt Ryan. I think, I mean, we Matt Safford. And I think the one thing that will happen is, you know, I know it's 12 years later, but I think people still think he can play. I don't think, you know, we think that he's on the decline or anything. So at least we'll see Stafford really do, truly get a fair shake with great defense, good organization, great head coach. All right, now, you know, you're, you were the number one pick in the draft. Are you that kind of guy? And again, I'm of the park. I'm of the camp of show me and I'll give you that respect, but you got to show me first because, I, I, you know, you weren't able to carry and uplift the guys on your team for all those years. The Lions were pretty much the same Lions since before you got there. But different circumstances could mean different results. So I do want to see what happens with Matt Stafford in these uh, in these coming years with the Rams. But um, staying on kind of the trade market, there's some belief that the Stafford trade has ballooned the price tag of Texans QB Deshaun Watson. While there have been, you know, bullish trade proposals thrown around on social media and on TV segments on SportsCenter and other sports shows, um, the Texans are reportedly rebuffing teams who even call about Watson. Two league execs told Bleacher Report uh, Houston has made it clear they have no interest in trading Watson. To be fair, that is what they've also said in public. But um, we've seen these kind of stalemates. And uh, between players and, and disgruntled stars kind of go a multitude of ways. Rob, how long do you think Texans can hold on to Watson? And do you think some of these offers that you're seeing on social media, I saw something that said like Chase Young and four first-round picks, something crazy. Do you think these 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 offers that we're seeing get thrown out there are getting a little out of hand? For a long time, I thought that the Watson wanting to get traded, not, not to discredit any reporting that he wants to get traded i'm sure that he wants to get out of there but i just it seems so unbelievable to me that that the texans would consider trading him um and for that reason i do think that the offers are going to be um going to have to be outrageous i think that the only way that this doesn't end up being uh an offer that includes multiple first round picks is if the jaguars get involved because I think the Jaguars could conceivably um, kind of leverage just the number first pick overall and maybe sprinkle a little something else in there um, if they were interested in, in the sure thing of Watson. Interesting. Um, you know, for the Jets, it's a team like the Jets, it's going to be three first round picks. I assume um, we've never seen a guy like this on the trade market. And you know, Watson, you know, I don't know how you guys 100% feel on him, but I think that he is so locked into the tier one of quarterbacks in this league. 
And I think the drop-off between that tier two we just talked about with Stafford and Ryan, and uh, I probably put Lamar Jackson in a tier two if we're going to talk about, um, you know, Mahomes and Watson and maybe like Wilson and Rodgers as a tier one. I think the gap is pretty large um, in terms of what they what the win is. Um, I don't necessarily think the Stafford trade has ballooned the value like we think. Um, I know it's a little antiquated, but the picks two years and three years down the line since they don't have a pick this year, um, typically they've been given a round merit. Um, I think that's a little antiquated, but uh, if this was like 2011, those picks would kind of be valued at the level of a second and third round pick with the other third round pick coming in. Um, and then they also have to take back Goff's contract. I know it's crazy because the Rams don't have any picks to begin with. So they're trading what precious little gold they have left, but um, you know, it's a calculated risk to accept that offer when they could have probably gotten like a number one and a number three from the Colts this year and not having to take back an ornery contract. Um, yeah, I don't think, but I do think that I don't understand from a GM's perspective. And I know that their GM is somewhere between uh, Bill Belichick acolyte and a random priest. Who's also a Bill Belichick acolyte. <laughs> so who knows what's happening, but you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to show on Watson in exchange for Darnold and two first round picks. I probably wouldn't want him for Darnold in three first-round picks because, um, to me, a Deshaun Watson comes around. It, it, it's unbelievable that 11 teams passed on him, um, and that includes you know, Mahomes going in front of him. Like the, He's just that special of a player. Wow. What do you feel about this, Kendall? Yeah. I mean, I think the Watson value – uh, I agree that I think he is a tier one quarterback. Um, I'd probably put him at the bottom of tier one, but I mean that's not. I mean that's not even a, a knock. Uh, and he's, he's younger than a lot of those guys that we've talked about. Um, you know, so in terms of value, he's, he may be right behind Mahomes. Uh, and you know, he's. And so I, I agree that I think his value is extremely high. Um, I, but I, like I mentioned on our show a couple a couple weeks ago, um, I think to me what I'm willing to give up for Deshaun Watson, I think depends on the situation I'm in as a franchise. Um, if I have a quarterback that I feel like, like like Rob mentioned, was a was a tier two guy, um, and I've seen some proposals that include you know trading a tier two quarterback and you know a ton of first round picks for. Deshaun Watson, I personally wouldn't do that. Um, or it depends on who you consider obviously tier two. Um, but you know, if, if and if you're a franchise that feels like getting Watson, uh, if we get Watson and he's the final piece, like I think Indianapolis is in a situation where if they were able to get Deshaun Watson, um, like they're they could be right there with with Kansas City um, in the, in the AFC. Uh, depending on what that offense looks like. Um, like, that's a team where I understand, like, yeah, you give up anything you have to give up uh, to get Deshaun Watson um, in terms of pick compensation. But, you know, there's there have been some proposals out there from teams that just aren't, they're not, they're not, they're not close. And then the other part of it is I, 
I'm, I'm extremely high on this quarterback class uh, uh, in the draft. So for me, I'm not – if I'm in a position where I'm a team that has the draft capital to make a pick, uh, let's say you're the Falcons um, – I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go after Deshaun Watson because I feel like whoever I end up with at four, uh, assuming that you know the top three quarterbacks don't go in the top three, um, I, I don't know if they're they're not better than Deshaun Watson, but I don't know if they're worth. I don't know if it's. I don't know if the difference is worth giving up that pick plus five more. Um, and to me, look, I think the interesting conversation uh, is if you're Houston, would you trade? Watson for Trevor Lawrence. Um, and I don't know if, like, Jacksonville, that I think for um, PR reasons. And it, I mean, look, I get it. I mean, you, you know, you're the team that's always had trouble selling uh, tickets, and you have a chance to get Trevor Lawrence, who's going to be one of the more marketable um, quarterback prospects we've had, in a long, we've had in a long time. I understand why you wouldn't, you wouldn't trade him, but obviously, from a football perspective, Urban Meyer. I think would love to have a guy Sean Watson. And if it doesn't take you much more than the number one pick in the draft, you have to consider it. And for Houston, I think um, I, I would imagine they would love to get their hands on Trevor Lawrence uh, for a lot of reasons. So um, that's the interesting proposal that, I've, that, that that's that been thrown out there. And Adam Schefter seems to be like talking about it and like throwing it out there in, in, in fun, but he doesn't, no one's seriously talking about it, but I, you know, I think it's something that, uh, is the one it's the one move that I feel like kind of makes sense for both franchises, and and the reason why I think other the, than other than the interdivision thing, that's the only right. thing yeah. that doesn't make sense about it. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah it's funny because I feel like I feel like you would make a great case for all three teams in the NFC AFC South that they should make a run at Deshaun Jackson. I mean, it's Deshaun Watson, sorry, and and it's it's crazy because like you're right, like like. These are the, all those three teams have a have a great case to, to to try to make a trade proposal, but how willing would Houston be to trade you know a franchise superstar in his prime? Maybe not even in his prime. You could argue he's he's still ascending. Um, quarterback in their division It's something that has just never been done before. It's something that no team would ever seriously consider under most circumstances. But we don't know what, what these trade uh, these trade proposals will actually be if Houston ends up eventually listening. Um, the one thing about the Jacksonville thing that's interesting is, you know, I looked up, the first thing I did was I looked up Urban Meyer's age and he's 56, but I feel like Urban Meyer's an old 56. I don't know how you guys feel. Like to me, he doesn't feel like a fit, a a normal 56 year old NFL head coach. This feels like a retirement job to me that like, I don't know. I would would imagine that. If that window does, if this window doesn't open for Urban Meyer in the next, in the first three, four years, uh, he's gonna be, you know, finding an escape route out of this. Yeah, because I mean, like, you know, shout out to Herb, but that's what he's done every single time, and things have gotten tough. Like, he don't like how things are going. You know, all of a sudden he's got some chest pain, or he's got to deal with some issues. Like, and like, and, and he's had real health scares. So to me, like, I, uh, that's part of the reason why I was. A little bit surprised he was so bullish on taking any NFL job. Like to me, like I was just like, wow, Jacksonville. Like I mean, they have number one pick, so like they got that that kind of worked out for him. But I was just still, I'm like, this is a man who like couldn't deal with like winning national championships and the pressure of that and the stress of that. Like, how's he going to deal with you know winning four games a year? And that's something we talked about a lot in the podcast when he got hired. But 
I could totally see. And to me, when you hire a coach like that and you give him the big red carpet rollout the way they did, to me, he's essentially your GM. I don't know who their GM is, but he's essentially – if he says we need to get Deshaun Jackson, Deshaun Watson, I don't know why I keep saying Deshaun Jackson. I did that a couple weeks ago too. They say they, get, uh, they need to get Deshaun Watson, and he feels like, you know, I want to try to win now, then that's what they're going to do. So that's an interesting situation, and, I, and I, would, I would definitely keep an eye out on that. And I think I agree with Kendall. I feel like it's kind of situational when it comes to who should be giving up what in terms of what a package should look like. I, I feel like some of these teams that we've seen where you talk about these uh, blo- bloated proposals, I know the Jets have a lot of draft capital. So in one sense, you could say they could they could afford to lose a lot and obviously gaining a lot when you have Deshaun Watson. But to me, I would still be wary of giving up the whole farm because I guess I really, while I understand this league is a quarterback league, and I am totally one of those people, I feel like I also still have more of a respect for what it takes to have a well-oiled machine and a functioning full football team. Let alone, forget about your football team, just a functioning offense. Let's just take one half of the ball. And how so much other than quarterback has to be going right for everything to work out for you. And I don't know how many times I've seen um, with the Jets the conversation about it being about Darnold and, and, and is he the right guy. And I feel like the question is more about they have no no other players who would start for any other team basically in their starting lineup except for Beckton maybe. Like, like to me, what is Watson doing for you if you're then also emptying the cupboard of all your extra picks and now you're kind of just a regular team with – the normal amount of picks that you would have, or maybe a little less than certain other teams. Unless you're going crazy in free agency and crazy in the trade market, which in fairness, the Jets can do because they do have a lot of money and they do have some flexibility. I, I don't I don't know if that makes sense. You know, I, I, I came into this thinking that it would be one of those top teams, uh, one of these top bad teams, you know, that would that would make the plunge, a Washington, a, uh, a New York. But I, I don't I don't know if... if if it makes sense for those teams, if it's going to cost that much, I think it, it would make more sense for one of these teams that's already kind of win now mode, like we talked about with the Rams, where you know they're not going to be as good as the Rams probably. But if you're a team that's, you know, you really feel like you're one player away, you just go for it all and say, hey man, we're going to have a franchise quarterback. If things go well and he doesn't demand another trade, we'll have him for another six, seven, eight years, hopefully. But you know these like well, these blo- bloated trade proposals for teams like the Jets. I don't. I don't know if I, I if I if I buy into giving up, you know, four first round picks uh, for someone like Deshaun Watson when I don't. I don't know how you're also filling out the rest of your roster, which is so depleted. And again, I'm only talking about offense. But you know about the just defense is also a disaster. So it, it's just some of these teams. That's a long way to go. I don't know what getting Watson does for you. I just saw him play on a terrible team. They won four games, and he put up great numbers. Yeah, that. I was going to say the joke was is that you know especially when. Uh, when the Jets were kind of looking like they were about to go 0 and 16 this year, like what would Mahomes look like on the Jets? I was like, well, it would look like the freaking Texans. Yeah, it's exactly what it would look like. Exactly, they'd be four and 12, and he'd be doing crazy stuff, and they would lose. Um, <laughs> and then, and I totally get that, and I understand why there would be a hesitance to put together that really, you know, knock your socks off trade package to be put yourself in the same position that the Texans are in now. Um, but that's kind of why I, I, for a long time, I didn't think that Watson would be traded. Um, and then my personal, and this is probably a controversial take, is it's like 
I I would rather have the no assets, the garbage team, um, and Deshaun Watson and try to figure it out from there than right. you know, be the Jets and try to figure it out from there. I know that's not totally true because you know, we'll talk about, you know, their options with the number two pick. Um and, and they might be able to solve their problem that way, but certainly if we went to an alternate reality where they do not take the quarterback number two, like it looks like the Jets have no room to kind of, you know, to get that. You'd rather rather have Watson and nothing else than, you know, four first round picks and looking at, am I going to bring Darnold back for another year? It's, 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 in some ways, it's. I mean, it's not the worst position to be in the world to have all these picks and number two pick and be bad and also have Deshaun Watson and not have a lot of talent. You could be in worse positions, I guess, but it's not a, the best position in the world. So I, you know, in some ways, picking between those two alternatives is tricky. But I think that that's a decision that you know the Jets are going to have to make. Like, I I don't know. I to me, I guess. I just have seen, I've seen a, a guy, and I know Darnold's not in Watson's stratosphere, but I've seen a guy with some talent play with no help and what that looked like. And then I saw Watson play with no talent and what that looked like. I'm just having a hard time. And I know, he, again, I think that he's ascending. I think he's going to get better, even from where he is now. But I'm just having a hard time picturing, after they get Watson, what is the rest of the roster going to look like and how are they going to make this team competitive? In a division where Miami's not going anywhere, the Bills aren't going anywhere, and the Patriots are the Patriots. So they may not look all that good now, but all it takes is for some wizardry to happen, and they're right back into the, the thick of things. Uh, you know, I know for a division that, 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 oh, that has looked weak for years, now it looks different now. Yeah, I was going to say, I know it's been reported that, you know, what a great fit he would be in Kyle Shanahan's off- offense. But if I'm Kyle Shanahan and I'm looking at Matt Stafford, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and you know three playing on three teams that have a decent amount of talent, and I look at my roster, I start to think, take take anything that's not nailed down, I leave agree. me Kittle and some offensive line talent, and you know let's see what we can, let's see if we can get in the mix here because otherwise, you know Kyle Shanahan's looking at a division he thought he was going to own for a while and. He's going to be finishing fourth place year in and year out. If, and in if a way, he could, make in a move. way, in a way, he almost feels like how McVay felt last season. Like to me, like they've kind of they're, they're almost taking the same exact track. And we see what McVay did, you know, a year advance from Kyle Shanahan's rise in in San Francisco. He ended up making a move for a quarterback. If you're Shanahan and you're the the Forty Niners, do you say let's not get to that point where we have maybe a good year where our guys come back healthy? And maybe we make the playoffs, but because of the lack of a consistent offense or consistent quarterback play, we have no chance to win a Super Bowl. Like, if you have a chance to make that risk now, do you do it now as opposed to, like, saying, oh, let's wait till all our guys get back and maybe we get a modest upgrade from Jimmy or maybe we bring Jimmy back. And, and then, you know, again, we're a decent team and win 10 what, games, okay. but we're not, we're not competing for a championship because these other teams have better quarterbacks. That's an, that's an excellent proposal. Um, or that's an excellent point, and I think – you know, honestly, it, like I think the perfect move for San Francisco, um, if you do feel like you're one quarterback away, uh, I would call the Vikings and say, uh, "What do you guys want for Kirk Cousins?" <laughs> uh, that's that I would make. 
Yeah, I know. I, know I, I can't just, tell you're if just, you're joking. Oh, trust me, he's joking. <laughs> he's doing anything to get Kirk Cousins the hell well, out no, of Well, no, I'm dead serious, but I hope that that's how, I hope that happens. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> depends on uh, whether or not uh, Kyle Shanahan agrees. I feel like Kirk Cousins is a great fit in that offense. <laughs> well, look, um, we'll see what happens with Watson, man. Um Wait, wait. Do, does everyone think he's definitely gonna get traded? Though we didn't get. I guess we never answered that part of this. Like, does anyone uh, think there's any chance he's starting for the Texans in Week One? It sounds like he's very serious about this, and this is a this is an important moment in NFL history. It because, is. I agree with that. Um, if he doesn't get traded, that's an awful step for the Players Association in terms of you know becoming what the NBA has now in terms of player uh, movement. Uh, and player empowerment. So um, he kind of has to hold firm on this. So, I mean, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just feels like, you know, maybe, you know, I got to, you know, I need a check or, you know, the situation he's in has healed itself. But I feel like he's going to hold firm. Uh, if that means holding out, I think he's going to be willing to hold out, and I think he gets moved. What do you think, Rob? It, it, it's, it's just it's so hard to see him playing for the Texans again, just based on this hard line stance. But, you know, unless, unless there's some surprise trade offer, you know, I know he's got the no trade clause too, which, which complicates things to the nth degree. Um, I think eventually he gets moved. Um, and, but I don't, I think that the, if the Texans didn't want to move him, they wouldn't have to. I think that the Texans, they seem like, and the ownership seems like, they're okay with letting them go. They're just making sure that offer is as high as it's possibly going to be. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I, I I also don't buy this uh, stance the Texans are taking today in that they're not listening to any offers because I don't think it really makes sense to listen to any offers today. Um, there's uh, draft work that needs to be done. There's interviews that need to be done. You know, the Rams situation was very unique in that, you know, Again, no picks really to talk about in the first round this year or anything like that. So they were able to just kind of look ahead and be like, this is what we need to do. We know what we want. Let's just move forward. Again, Kendall talked about the connection with Stafford. Uh, this is different. So if you're really going to weigh all your options, there's no re- there's absolutely no reason or no way you should be trading Watson today or tomorrow or even next week, maybe even next month. I think you got to take this way closer up to the draft. And to see how things kind of shake out before they strike. I think they're going to strike pretty hard. But I do feel like the no trade clause, as Rob said, is an interesting wrinkle. Um, I always wonder, you know, we've never seen it before. But I, I always wonder when there will be that athlete who, with the no trade clause, are in a position where they can really control where they go. Because maybe they have an impending free agency. And maybe I sound like a Salty Knicks fan here. But will we ever see that athlete say, no, 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 I'm not going to go there where you just like, you know, pillage all of their assets and I go there to, you know, an empty cover. You're going to take, you know, a modest amount and that's where I'm going to go and I'm not accepting anywhere else. I, I'd be curious if someone like Watson did that. Like, I know there's many very conflicting reports about whether or not he'd want to be interested in the Jets today. I saw their report saying that he's not interested in the Jets. But I, I wonder if, you know, we'd see, a, you know, Watson ever have a point where he's like, no, I want to go to the Jets, but you're not taking – five first-round picks or something crazy. You're going to take your three or two something fair, and then uh, and I'm going to go there with some with some talent. I'm not going to just, you know, waltz in there with, you know, an empty cupboard. 
we've never really seen that ever happen before, but I, I'm, I'm wondering if that'll ever happen at some point with a player who has this much control. It's very rare you have a player in this situation. Um, Dan, the, the one example I think about all the time, because as a Knicks fan, I, I, I kind of like lament over it often, is Carmelo Anthony uh, allowing the Knicks to just give up everything they had as opposed to holding out and waiting for free agency or telling Denver I'm not going to win. Get over it. Get over it, EJ. But but that's what I think about. He's got Emmanuel quickly now. Without those blue, you wouldn't have Emmanuel quickly. That's true. We've come all the way full circle now. We got IQ. So all all is good in the world now. Um, But, uh, yeah, no, this this Watson thing is going to be a very fascinating thing to take uh, take note of, and we're going to keep paying attention to it. Uh, the other, you know, thing I want to talk about, Rob, before we, we got out of here is the NFL draft. Obviously, Rob does a great amount of work on the NFL draft. Kendall, I know, over the last year, or really almost two years now, I would say, has really kind of, you know, dove into the NFL draft with his work. Um, video stuff with the Eagles and, and the work he's done outside New Generation. And I know, Kendall, you had a lot of stuff to talk about with the draft. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Yeah, you know, I think this we're, we're reaching an interesting uh... – an interesting time now. Um, just had the Senior Bowl this weekend. Uh, no combine, so really draft season is uh, officially started. And you know, I think we've seen a lot of the uh, the the TV scouts. You know, McShay, Kuyper, Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks. They've all started to come out with their mock drafts, and uh, McShay and Jeremiah uh, have both pegged Wilson as the number two pick in the draft going to the Jets, Zach Wilson, uh, out of BYU. Um, I believe Kuyper has uh, Wilson also going ahead of uh, Justin Fields. Daniel Jeremiah actually has Trey Lance also going over Justin Fields, which is interesting. And um, and Bucky Brooks is the only one that actually does have Justin Fields going number two to the Jets. Uh, Mel Kuyper has the Jets taking Devontae Smith. Um it's interesting. And plus the fact, when you throw in the fact, uh, a little nugget that McShay, Todd McShay is close to Joe Douglas, um, who is the general manager of the New York Jets. Um, they went to college together at the University of Richmond. Um, and he, Todd McShay, feels like Zach Wilson is significantly better than Justin Fields. Um, all of this, all this kind of, I think, definitely leads you into the path that there is a consensus growing. I don't want to say consensus because I think that's strong, but there is certainly a a momentum that is trending in the direction of Zach Wilson is the number two quarterback in this draft. Um, Joe Theismann came out today and said that he, he feels that Zach Wilson is the best quarterback in the draft. But um, Rob, how do you how do you see what, what's your take on this uh, on the way this draft is uh, playing out so far? This draft season. You'll have to ask me closer to the draft because I haven't done a full breakdown um, really of any of these players, uh, but more specifically of the guys that are kind of new to the the game, which which definitely includes Zach Wilson and Mac Jones. Um, Justin Fields is came into this season as one of the three elite prospects in college football, along with Trevor Lawrence and Penny Sewell and there really, to me, wasn't a fourth that was really at that top tier. I usually, you know, every year I kind of just pick, like, these three to four prospects in every draft. Sometimes it's six, sometimes it can be two. 
are just like the talent is is so elite that you know you can't really argue with it. Fields is in that class. If, if Fields ends up being the number two pick, you know he will have a higher grade for me than a whole lot of other you know quarterbacks that were number one picks. He just happens to be in the Trevor Lawrence year. Um, I know there's some issues people think, and, and it's in the it's Ohio State issue that that offense is really designed to not get you reading through your progressions. Um, they have very uh, a lot of easy out throws, um, but but Justin Fields, his arm talent is unbelievable. Um, he really hasn't showed me, you know. I know he's struggled a, a couple times over the year over his two years as a starter. Um, my guess is that he would be the number two overall pick. Um, and that's what's so weird about the the Zach Wilson momentum because hey, look, I agree. You know, I I. I, I I, I've said on the show that I'm uh, I'm extremely high on Justin Fields, and I mean, you know, I think the difference between him and Lawrence is very close, uh, and it's it's interesting uh, that the Wilson momentum has gotten so strong. Um, I mean, he's he's terrific in his own right, but um, I, you know, I think I, I I just feel like when you're looking. Um, a draft where, you know, we're talking about, you talked about Justin Fields and how he has struggled on big stages. Uh, obviously, last last year against Clemson, didn't play his best. Um, big Ten championship game twice. He hasn't played tremendous. Um, and those are games where, look, people, that's where you get the most amount of people watching. Um, this season against Clemson, obviously, he had the best game of his career. Uh, playing with a best of rib, um, and then in, I thought played solid in the national championship game, but not enough to even keep keep it competitive um, against Alabama. I you know I it, it, I think he's being graded on a tough scale. It's it's strange. Um, I've heard a lot of people mention the Ohio State thing, uh, even beyond even beyond you know their 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 system. I've seen people say, oh, how many great quarterbacks has Ohio State produced and Honestly, I mean, you can use that about most schools. Uh, how many great quarterbacks has Alabama produced? Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, Joe Namath. Uh, um, how many great quarterbacks have it's, Clemson produced outside of Deshaun Watson? You know, it's it's a it's a weird it's a weird take, but yeah, it's 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 always a weird take because we kind of come to a consensus that there's like four or five good quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, so yeah, like. That's what. So yeah, of course, there's 300 or whatever. There's 120, you know, FBS schools, and they produce, you know, between five and eight quarterbacks that we have some semblance of, of real confidence in that we're not trying to upgrade on our po- on these podcasts all the time. Right. So uh, what do you expect? Yeah, quarterback factory. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they have Derek Carr. I mean, I guess I wouldn't consider Derek Carr a, a Hall of Famer. So I mean, the next great. Fresno State quarterback, we're going to say, well, I mean, Derek Carr and yeah. David Carr didn't really work out. The yeah. next great Cal quarterback, we're going to say, you know, how how many good quarterbacks has Cal produced other than Aaron Rodgers? Because you're just <laughs> right. going to move the benchmark yeah. every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there, 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 I mean, there is, the you know, we always talk about what's running back you, what's linebacker you, what's DB you, what's quarterback you. There is no quarterback you. Quarterback position is so... It's so specialized. It's so 
um, elite, like the people that play that position at the NFL level, like they're that's like a, a special special brand of people in the world. And you even condense that even more to say, all right, there are like ten of them who are really good. The other guys are just kind of okay. Like it, you're just gonna have a lot of guys who go in the first round or second round from these big schools who just don't work out because to be that good in the NFL and to be considered a uh, um, you know, a worthy draft pick is just, it, it, it's, it's, it's like a one in a zillion chance. I mean, you know, we talked you talked about how special Watson is. I mean, getting that kind of player, you know, they change your franchise, they change your life. And I, I agree. I thought the, I, the Ohio state thing in terms of just the school, I don't get, and I kind of don't get, I think that that's a, a terrible narrative in almost all, um, sports, like, like the, the school, the guy went to and, because other people went to that school, therefore this guy's not going to work out. I've, I've I've never understood that really as a thing, um, especially when it's not system based. You know, if it's system based, maybe I get it a little bit. But you know, we've seen now multiple Ohio State quarterbacks come out playing under different systems, like you know, Cardell well, Jones and Braxton Miller, and, and, Miller uh, struggled. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but those guys are playing. Those guys are playing under Tom Herman. Like it's like it's a different. Yeah, Terrell Terrell Pryor is playing for Jim Trestle. Like it's 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 totally different circumstances. Like what does that have to do with Justin Fields, who went to Georgia, who didn't transfer to Ohio State? Like it's like I don't know. It's just it's always a a conversation that happens draft time that I never get it. You know, I I I think you could definitely poke holes. I said you could definitely poke holes. In the Urban Meyer quarterback system, because you know it, it is you know one of my favorite college offenses back from when he ran it in Florida mm-hmm. and when he brought it to Ohio State. I, I like when he, he ran just it. Does so many things. Yeah, yeah, he just does so many things that that make uh, the position easy. But you know, you know, Tim Tebow had his obvious limitations as a thrower mm-hmm. um, that prevented him from being successful. You know, m- you know, Dwayne Haskins is, is a different story. First of all was not some highly touted uh, prospect. I'm sure he was a great prospect, you know, to get right. a you know, shot at Ohio State, but he's not somebody that we talked about. Like, you know, was a five-star, top-of-the-class guy. And, you know, clearly, you know, not that we want to have a Booger McFarlane moment here, hmm. but, you know, cl- you know, clearly the, you know, there's a difference in terms of, you know, the intelligence and the work ethic that you see in, like, Mahomes and Watson than you saw in Haskins. You know, Justin Fields was considered that type of athlete, um, all the way around from his from his literal athleticism to his arm talent um and you know one of the you know as far as you could tell based on you know elite 11s and you know uh college football he seems to be you know very bright and very understanding of the game like there are really no questions about him and and he's in a class all his own in terms of ohio state qbs in terms of urban meyer qbs you know, and, and just in terms of you know, the entire country, you know, in the last however many years of prospects, as I've been uh, as I've been watching, which is probably you know twelve years of quarterback prospects dating back to whenever you know, Sam Bradford or something, where I really was able to kind of study the tape. Yeah, I mean, and and, and the one thing I will say, and I you know I I see the momentum going towards Zach Wilson and. Wilson's a very curious case because Kendall probably knows all the you know t- you know twelve a.m. texts I sent him because I work 
you know, late on the weekends and when I'm off work, you know, BYU was playing a late game, so I'm watching Zach Wilson. Uh, the, and the guy is impressive. I mean, truly special kind of arm talent. Uh, I told Kendall that, you know, I hate to say these kind of comparisons, but he does things on the football field that remind me of Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to say he, he reminds me of Aaron Rodgers, but some of the ways he can escape a, the, escape a pocket and throw the ball 60 yards on a dime are things that I've only seen like Aaron Rodgers do in his prime when he was you know, a little younger. Like That's okay, uh, That's okay, EJ. I once cop- comped Josh Allen to Aaron Rodgers, so I've been, I've been in your shoes here. <laughs> But I, I've seen I've seen Wilson I saw Wilson do this in these late night games where BYU's crushing people, and I'm like, yo, this guy is is ridiculous. Like, who, who is yeah, this the guy? Boise State? Yeah, I mean the Boise State yeah. game is nuts. So uh, so I, I I get I definitely get the excitement for him, and I think that to me it's neck and neck between him and Fields. Um, I'm surprised that it's become such a, a, a it's becoming a runaway. I don't think it's you know. Security and to be fair, it only really matters what the Jets think or whoever drafts the number two thinks. I mean, even if because right. you know we've seen drafts where you know the Giants like really like Daniel Jones and a lot of people didn't think Daniel Jones was a top ten guy. It didn't matter what any of us us thought. It mattered what the Giants thought. The Giants thought Daniel Jones was worth number six pick in the draft. That's where he went. Like so so for the record, we we were all right. David Gettleman was wrong. <laughs> Everybody else was right. All of us. We're all taking that one. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a W for us and L for get him on that. But you know, so in the end, like you know, some of this stuff maybe is like it doesn't really matter. But if if we were to believe what Kendall's suggesting, which is that there's some, and usually I think there is like some educated belief in these mock drafts. You know, the, the, these mock drafts aren't necess- they're not you know big boards. They're not saying who they think is the best. You know, they're they're talking to people, they're doing their scouting, and then they kind of come with an educated guess of where they think teams will go. So that early, very early, still again, very early, but that educated guess saying it's like eighty twenty Wilson over Fields. Uh, I'm a little surprised by that. I'm a little surprised by that because you know you would think that you know the bigger pedigree, the, the guy that was you know ranked you know one and two with Lawrence pretty much since he was in eighth grade would be <laughs> would be someone that would get a little more love there than than Wilson, a guy who came on as a late bloomer. But I, I and and then one the other part I'm curious about I know Kendall's had you know jokes about how you know scouts say you know whatever happened whatever your your big board was you know after the season you, yeah, yeah. pre combine just take a snapshot of that and just revisit it on draft night don't worry about whatever you see in the meantime but you know I, I am curious what the truncated pre draft uh, extravaganza that we'll, that we're used to seeing and it being much smaller how that changes things. Is there a chance that more pre-combine beliefs kind of stake hold and what we're seeing now is kind of just what we end up seeing later on? Or is there a chance that you do still see a lot of movement? Because, you know, the the scouts have done the work already. It's now about presenting it really to your general managers, to your decision makers, and then them making the decisions. But the, the scout work is done. So I'm wondering if, if you'll see this year more teams lean on their scouts and say, all right, this is what you had in the beginning. And, you know, we saw a pro day. We, you know, maybe we got him in a work for a workout, but, you know, we couldn't do it how we normally would do it because of COVID. You know, that's going to be interesting as well. I, I I, think that Fields is being underrated, but I also understand the excitement for Wilson because that guy makes throws and 
it's it's again it's clean again I, I, the the it reminds me of Aaron Rodgers again. I'm not saying it's Aaron it's Rodgers, that but it reminds me of that. This what, what I think is happening with Wilson also is that I think we're getting hey, look. It's a copycat league. It always it's always been unless you're talking about Eric Bieniemy getting a job, <laughs> and it's <laughs> yeah. a copycat league. And I think Zach Wilson reminds you of he's in that he's in that Rodgers he's in that Mahomes archetype and you know I think teams are saying look we can get our hands on the next on the guy that could be that next version of that why would he why would you why would you look at anybody else now I mean that's a that's a huge risk you know I I mean I argued that Drew Locke was in that archetype a couple years ago and I mean you know Drew Locke I mean he is what he is but he's not franchise quarterback and it's and Justin Fields he seems like such a safer option his injuries are a concern. You know, he has some, some boneheaded mistakes at times, but his talent level is off the charts. Like EJ mentioned, his pedigree is elite. Um, and, it, you know, we the question that people had, a lot of people had was, yeah, Justin Fields, is, he's done, he's, he's been, you know, this top guy, and he's he's had these these, you know, great games against bad competition, but... What's he going to do against which, you know, the great, the great, the bad competition is still better than anyone. Uh, yeah. Zach Wilson's there. But um, yeah, exactly. what's he going to do when he faces uh, a team like Clemson? You know, he struggled on these big stages. And, I mean, there was enormous pressure going into that game for Justin Fields. Because if he doesn't, then he's not even in this conversation. People say, oh, no, he's a choke artist, doesn't play well in big games, don't touch him with a 10-foot pole. Even that, I thought would have been unfair, but that was the pressure that was put on put on him in that game, and he has one of the greatest performances I think we can argue in the college football player playoff era by a player in the college football playoff, and um, and we 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 continue to have these conversations. I mean, I'm not saying that these aren't intelligent conversations, and that you can't, you know, I'm not saying to to, to completely throw away Zach Wilson. Um, because the taste be for itself, Zach Wilson's an impressive prospect, but um, it just seems like then it became all right. Let's see him do it against Alabama, and when he didn't do what he did against Clemson against Alabama, then you say, yeah, I mean, Phil Wilson, I mean, uh, you know, Fields not not who we thought when Lawrence didn't play great against no. Ohio State. No, you know, I mean, not, not, only did, not only not only did he not play good against Ohio State, but he also didn't play that great against LSU last no. year. And I'm not, you know, you know, I don't want to use this to say that Wilson, you know, Lawrence is a scrub, but nobody's, besides Joe Theismann, is arguing Wilson over Lawrence. Right. And it honestly is a similar, it's, it's, they have similar profiles, you know, Lawrence and, and Fields. Um, but, you know, I mean, look, I think this reminds me a little bit of the, of the Luka Doncic situation um, in the NBA a couple of years ago. Mm. Uh and I feel like look, one of these teams is gonna is gonna make off like a bandit if he falls. Um, you know, I think one of these teams. If he, if he if somebody drafts Trey Lance over Justin Fields, I mean, whoever ends up with Justin Fields, it's gonna be a steal. I mean, it's gonna be it's yeah. gonna be a point up. And the we see this with Deshaun Watson. That's yeah. what's so bizarre about this as well. We saw this play out with Deshaun Watson where you know we had to move the goalposts a million times for what his accomplishments were. And feel that he's more talented than Watson was coming out, which is that. why this is like, it's strange, but it's happening. 
Um, well, Rob, I want to ask you real quick. What, what do you think about the receivers? Um, obviously, Devontae Smith, we talked about him also on this podcast. Um, you know, some people have argued maybe the Jets should look at him at number two. Uh, when we talked about him on this podcast, we talked about how the only the last couple of receivers that we've seen go number two. Um, Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, those guys, or at least go that high, um, in the top three, like those guys are, those guys played on awful teams, you know, like that was, that was the, the kind of the, the, the thing that made those guys special was that those guys played on awful teams and made them competitive and were still able to ball out at a level that we had seen. Obviously, Smith is not in a situation like that. He's, he played on um, the most talented team in college football last year uh, and was still incredibly dominant and electric. But do you feel like drafting him in the top two or three? Uh, obviously, Miami uh, at three is, is another spot where people feel like he could go. Do you feel like that would be a reach? Uh, for the Jets drafting him at two, um, which would, I guess, resign you to bringing Sam Darnold back. It's just bananas. It's just a bananas idea, <laughs> and it shouldn't happen. Mm. Um, I, I, feel, I saw someone Mel Packers got to hang it up at uh, mocking <laughs> to the Jets. But, yeah, it's strange. Yeah, but uh, I have a hard time, especially with this receiver class, and just you know the way receivers are going in general, because it used to be very simple. Um, when you're talking about those high picks, um, your receivers haven't just – they, they haven't panned out at that at that level. Like you want your your Julio Jones, where the guy is six three, he's an unbelievable athlete. Yeah. And even compared to the other receivers in this draft, like Devontae Smith is is would kind of take a back seat to them, you know, as a pure athlete. Um, he probably reminds you if you're looking at an NFL comp, you're hoping to get that he becomes more of like a, a Stephon Diggs. Um, but even even Diggs was a much more highly like touted prospect than Smith was. You know, Diggs was you know an, an out of this world yes. uh, player coming out of high school who you know happened to transfer um, transfer that kind of knocked him down. So you know, if Devontae Smith ends up being Antonio Brown uh, without the extracurricular activities, like he could probably live up to the number third, uh, the number you know two or three overall pick. Um, but uh, it's you look at all these receivers that have that are having success uh, in the NFL, and not many of them are drafted um, at that at that level. Uh, it, it seems like a position, you know, that's so deep that you can wait on them. And there's probably a, a couple of guys that have similar profiles to Devontae Smith that you can get in the second and third rounds, you just have to be really shrewd in identifying them because Smith brings everything else to the table. You know, he, he's got the hands, the route running. He seems to have all the intangibles that you need to succeed. Um, uh, just, just the value there. Uh, do you see him over, do you see him over Jamar Chase? Or do you think uh, that? Like, I wouldn't think that's crazy. I, I think that you know, Jamar Chase is another guy, you know, a four-star prospect. Not that that means anything, but He's another right. guy that I, I would be surprised if he wowed you with speed. He's not exceptionally large. I know he, mm. he does such a great job, you know, fighting for the ball at the point of attack and really separating late in his routes. Like, he's really phenomenal. I'm not going to take anything away from him in that sense. Um, but 
know, he, he's another guy that you're probably more likely to overdraft him than think that you got some exceptional value where you're going to have to take him. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think that I, I just feel like receiver is becoming. I mean, I, you could argue maybe he's always been a very tricky, you know, position to draft. But I, I mean, for me, receiver is really starting to become one of the most difficult because I think that the learning curve. You would think, considering how much the passing game has evolved and offenses evolved, that maybe receiving would be different. But I, I feel like receivers now, like it's kind of a crapshoot in terms of who's going to be good and who's not. And sometimes drafting that guy in the top two or three or even top 10 ends up being, you know, a risk. You know, we had a lot of receivers go in the first round this year, or at least, you know, the, the top guys. And it wasn't until Jefferson who went a little later in the first round where we got a guy who came in with a, a big time kind of rookie impact. That was a star, you know, not to say that, Lamb and and Judy and and these other guys aren't real rugs aren't gonna be good players. They're very young, but I almost feel like uh, receivers to me kind of come coming also coming like point guard in the NBA, where you know you're thrown into the wolves, and there are a lot of other more mature, good players that it's not you're not gonna just walk in and, and you're gonna be getting you know ten to twelve targets a game. This is this is not how it works. I don't care how good you were, because I, I mean I feel like those guys we had last year were like just so dynamite and that and, and again it's not like i don't think any of those guys i don't think disappointed per se but i think we could have maybe expected more considering the pedigree that judy had you talk about a guy who was all world coming out of high school was a superstar from day one at alabama and was a superstar for three years you look at you know the the two years cd lamb put up at oklahoma you look at the just breakneck speed of rugs you think those guys are going to have Big, big, big impacts as rookies. And they, again, they had good seasons, but they weren't superstars. Um, and with someone like Jefferson, who I really liked. And I thought that a lot of people thought that he, some people thought he made, he was, he was a weird player. I feel like some people thought that he was really overrated and some people thought he was really underrated. I was more inclined that he was underrated. So I, I, I'm not surprised that he played great. Maybe not, I am surprised he was a, you know, top five receiver in his first year. But like, it's becoming now kind of a thing where, you know, taking a guy that high, you don't know what you're going to get. And there's a very good chance you can get a guy in the second round, um, like a DK Metcalf, and that guy ends up being the superstar player. So with Smith and Chase, that's going to be a question that, that these teams are going to have to answer. Like, you know, how early am I going to take a guy like that? And am I going to get the payoff? Because even if the payoff is he's a good player. Justin Jefferson, off. by the way. Yeah. Justin Jefferson, by the way might have been the lowest recruited guy on the entire LSU championship roster. He was like a, like a yeah. low level three-star recruit coming out of high school. And again, like these things don't mean anything, but it just kind of shows you that you know, these receivers kind of come from all over the place. And yeah. if, if Joe Burrow didn't blow up last year, Justin Jefferson would have been like a, like a fifth round pick. I, I don't, I don't really think you could argue that if, if Joe Burrow, yeah you know, went down with a knee injury in his first game and they went with whatever their probably horrific backup plan was, you know, Justin Jefferson would have had no other way to, to kind of make a name for himself other than the fact that he was on that offense and, and, you know, and obviously he was a beast in that offense, but. Miles Brennan, uh, I'm guessing Miles Brennan didn't impress Rob. uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Down there in Baton Rouge. Um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, it, to me, it, the Dolphins are in such an interesting spot because if you get Devontae Smith, what's great is that, one, he doesn't have to necessarily be your number one receiver because they have Devontae Parker. Parker. Yeah. He's um, also really good, but he just – it's so hard for him to do anything because they have no other weapon. Like, I mean, besides Kasiki, they have no other weapon. And um, if you bring in someone like Devontae Smith, that kind of takes pressure off both of them. Um and then you already have Mike Techie. Now, look, the offense uh, still has to open up, you know, uh, at least with Tua uh, at, at quarterback. But um, And I don't know if, if Devontae Smith is number three pick worthy, but for that team, you know, it's such a luxury to even be able to take a guy like that. As, you know, <laughs> being essentially a I'd like this on the record now, and I'm sure I'll say it again many, many times. If Penny Sewell is not the first non-quarterback taken, and like, I, like you better yeah. hope that, well, that he busts so out. What do you think? I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna hold that over your head, over whatever team passes on his head, every single day. I'm gonna tweet it. Yeah, every I feel like day. every mock draft just like putting him in Cincinnati, and no, look, I, I, we all hope that he ends up in Cincinnati for Joe Burrow's sake, but. Um, it's interesting because Daniel Jeremiah actually has Rashawn Slater from Northwestern going ahead of Sewell. And I've seen some people kind of starting to knock Sewell's who didn't play this year. <laughs> Which, yeah. It's so interesting how these guys like Chase and Sewell and Parsons are just dropping. All three of them it's, dropping. Yeah. It's, and Slater's going to be high on my mock draft too, uh, on, yeah. on whatever, on my big board. But uh, but uh, but Sewell, I, I, he's yeah. – his, a lot his, of his been... tape is without a doubt. He's like he's like the Indomitian Sioux of offensive linemen, like if, if that makes sense in terms of how dominant yeah, man, look, his I, tape looks. Look, I, I cannot notice that. I've been team Penny Sewell for the Jets. I mean I I just feel like drafting these skilled players top top three or four is a super roll of the dice. And not to say that just because you're drafting the offensive lineman, you're guaranteed you're going to have a, a stud. You can still get a bust. But it, it's, it's, it's it's more likely you'll get a really good player, and there's a chance you can have a foundational player. Sewell, to me, seems like he seems like can't miss to me. I mean, he, he might. Maybe there's a situation where he ends up being a terrible bust, and I would be really shocked. But he feels like as close to being a can't miss as they can be. And if I'm in that position on the Jets, and I know I have Becton, but the whole offensive line is terrible. I'm putting one of them on the right side, and again, I've seen the criticism saying you can't just take a left guy and throw him on the right side. I, I get all that, but I'm going to take my chances with these two very athletic, very young, very nasty tackles, and I'm going to make those guys work. And if I got to go get a quarterback next year because Sam doesn't work out or whoever I bring in doesn't work out, then so be it. But I, I agree. I think that Sewell, to me, should be the first guy taken after the quarterbacks. I, I would argue he should be taken after Lawrence. But that's me. To, to bring this back to uh, just to the Super Bowl, um, I couldn't love the idea of Bakai Becton and Sewell anymore. Like, the idea of just putting that offensive line together just makes me so happy. And if they got to the Super Bowl, I would pick the team with the better quarterback, obviously, as I did today. <laughs> and it goes against everything I believe in. Look, man, um, NFL draft season is not that far away. And we're going to make sure we have Rob DeRay on 
to talk more about the draft. We'll have I'm sure they'll be playing whether uh, off-season fireworks as well. We'll make sure to have them on as well. Rob, I want to thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, we got to do it again soon. Yeah, this is a pretty uh, a pretty brisk show. I think this will be a nice, easy listen for your, for everyone. I would hope so, man. I, I would not hope so. not too long. You know, it'll be like a quick car ride to the store. You'll get the whole podcast. <laughs> I don't want a quick ride to the store. Uh, maybe a quick ride to uh, you know uh, to Massachusetts. You'll 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 it'll be a good listen. I don't know about the store, but I really appreciate it, man. We'll make sure you have you on soon. Thank you guys so much for checking out this edition of New Generation Sports Talk, our Super Bowl preview. Of course, if you like this podcast, make sure you check it out on the New Generation Podcast Network. You can find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and plenty more. Sometimes I Google us and I see, oh my God, we're on this thing. I didn't even put ourselves there. So you Google New Generation Media, New Generation Podcast Network, you'll find us on all kinds of the platforms. Uh, make sure you catch us on YouTube as well, New Generation Media. As I said, our conversation with the Met the Criteria podcast, that's a British basketball podcast. Is up there. It's about an hour and 10 minutes or so. Um, there are also some smaller segments in there that I cut up that you can watch as well. And that podcast is also on this pod- audio channels as well. But if you want to watch that video, we're on there. Make sure you check that out again. That's New Generation Media. Uh, Rob, where can they find you on social media? Uh, they're just better off not. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not, not really a not important. swear. I'm bringing a lot <laughs> of stuff to the table. Wait till I get invited back on the show. And then I'll, you'll, you'll hear from me then. Well, you, that's fair enough. You can find this uh, podcast on the New Generation um, uh, New Generation Pod on Twitter, uh, the Instagram account, New Generation Podcast. You can find me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart, Instagram Action EJ. You can find Kendall on Twitter, at New Gen Ken. Once again, that'll do it for now. Thank you to Rob as well. Uh, and uh, obviously, a shout-out to Kendall. Thank you guys for checking us out. I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.